Hi guys, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo, which always needs challenging. Today, I have a great opportunity and privilege to host a debate. I love hosting debates. I would love to participate in debates. My schedule have not, has not allowed for me to do that as much as I want, but I'm hoping that changing, that's changing in the near future. So today we have Sean with Kingdom in Context, and we have Courtney with Biblical Apologetics. You can follow them both on, I think, I think they're both on TikTok and on YouTube and all those other fun platforms. Go check them out. Uh, it's funny because I've heard the, these names kind of like kicked around a little bit because for okay. people who don't know, my my ministry, even though it is very much considered it's like an evangelical Christian ministry, has also hovered around the um, Torah community as well. And so it's kind of fun because I'll hear these names kicked around. It allows me to kind of sometimes host these types of debates, and it's a lot of fun. So guys, are basically what it is today is we're going to be asking the question, is penal substitutionary atonement biblical? Courtney is going to be saying yes. Uh, she takes the affirmative on this. And Sean is saying no, it is not biblical. So we're going to have, of course, here in a few minutes, Courtney is going to open us up in an uh, opening statement. But uh, before I do that, actually, what I'd like to do is let you guys first introduce yourselves, tell a little bit about yourselves, why everyone should even care about you guys in the first place, and uh, a little bit about your background. And so, Courtney, since you go, you're going first, uh, I see no reason why to change the tradition. So, Courtney, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Courtney Smith. I run a channel called Biblical Apologetics. I do have a presence on TikTok, uh, and that's about all as far as the social platforms for me. There's a little bit too much going on just on those. Um, so basically, I created my channel to be the gap bridger between the mainstream Christian apologetics and the Hebrew roots Torah observant messianic apologetics. Um, my goal of my channel is mostly focused on edifying all believers in Christ. I don't care what your denomination is, all believers in Christ and essentially being able to substantiate what you believe about the New Testament in the Old Testament. And so typically that means that I debate a lot of non-believing Orthodox Jews or those who have been convinced uh, <laughs> against the new testament and that's pretty much about it i am a wife um a mom of three so my schedule is normally pretty busy which is why unfortunately i haven't been able to do this debate with sean sooner and i'm very grateful that sean has been so patient to give me the opportunity to keep pushing it off until my schedule allowed with my children so here we are today and thank you for hosting sean go ahead right. sorry yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Sean Griffin of Kingdom of Context, and uh, I we have been doing YouTube ministry for about five years, trying to teach uh, the scriptures in context according to definitions of words, which sounds really boring. So it's very much of a challenge to make that engaging and entertaining so people can actually learn the word, how relevant it is to their life, not be confused by some of the dogma from certain different denominations, but instead have a working comprehension of the scriptures so they can actually be fruitful in their knowledge of Christ. And that's our heart, our goal. I grew up in church. My grandfather and father were both pastors, and I never thought I'd see myself in this position. But here I am doing this, and I really feel like I, I'm doing what God has called me to do. I enjoy it. And at the same time, um, I do understand that there are, you know, people don't agree with everything that we talk about. So, um, I'm glad that we get to have opportunities like this to discuss it in front of everyone, as opposed to like these weird, 
council behind closed doors approved by emperors type of thing in the past like i'd rather the church be able to talk openly and in public about these things so we can all come to the truth i agree so that's one of the things i'm very passionate about is unity in the body of christ i'm very much uh, a person who believes not just in unity of the body of christ but unity and diversity of thought because we're all going to come to different places differently and sometimes you have to completely strip back all your beliefs that you originally had and then you get to reapproach them uh and it's really great and so well, that's one of the things that sometimes i get in trouble uh with the church split for being too ecumenical and uh, because I let other people onto the platform, they're like, oh, but don't you know they believe X, Y, and Z? Just because they, you agree with them here doesn't mean you should be platforming them. And my whole thing is, first off, if you find anyone you agree with 100%, I worry that you think for yourself at all. Uh, the other thing is, is how are we supposed to challenge ourselves at all? And if you really do think you are correct, and you really think that these people are always so incorrect, then you shouldn't be worried about them being on someone's platform explaining it because you're, the truth should stand on its own. And if anything else, you should be able to uh, knock it, knock it down pretty quickly. So anyway, I'm very passionate about these things. I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm excited for this. Many people who know that me, um, I do not affirm penal substitutionary atonement myself. So I know I disagree with Courtney right off the bat. So I'm curious to see, to see what'll happen with Sean here, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited for this. This will be fun. And, uh, what we're going to do just so everyone's aware, we're going to have opening statements, a rebuttal period, some cross-examination, then we're going to have open air and during open air, we'll take audience questions. And of course, super chats do get priority, not because I want your money, but because we're going to throw money, we better at least answer your question. So uh, with that being said, I would like to go ahead and just jump right into the opening statements, if that's all right with you guys. So Courtney, why don't you head us off? You have 10 minutes starting right when you start speaking. Really fast. Is there going to be like a 30 second notification? Yes, I'll give you a 30 second no notification. Sounds great, thank you. All right. Good afternoon and thank you all for being here. The first thing that I would like to do is explain what PSA is. P excuse me, penal substitutionary atonement. The P stands for punishment or penalty and the S stands for substitutionary, i.e. something in place of another. And finally, the A atonement, meaning to cover. You absolutely cannot properly understand PSA without understanding the sacrificial system of atonement in the Torah, as well as the Garden of Eden story. I believe PSA is best explained not that Christ took on the eternal punishment that we were owed, but that he, via punishment as a symbolic lamb led to slaughter, restored what was lost in the garden. That is eternal life. Whenever you are not in possession of eternal life, you are in possession of eternal damnation and God's wrath. This is different than the ransom theory, since I believe punishment is how Christ gained access to the right hand of God, and the offering was given to God. I think PSA is the most all-encompassing here. This is because it is the only one that encompasses every aspect of the sacrificial system of atonement found in the Torah, meaning it's the only one that actively consults with or considers the Torah's examples of atonement via substitutionary or vicarious atonement. My opponent and I both agree that the Torah is the building foundation for how we would interpret the rest of the scriptures, i.e. prophets and writings. And we both believe that adding to the law is probably not a good idea. This means that we need to consider how we interpret the central passages to PSA, which is Isaiah 53, in light of the law. I plan to now cover the vicarious atonement portion of PSA, and then I will cover how the P part 
of PSA is biblical. I would submit to you that if you know the sacrificial system, then you'll recognize what is being portrayed to you in Isaiah 52 and 3 as the chapter truly starts in 52. Too many people start in 53 and miss so much in 52. In the Suffering Servant chapter, you find strong language or verbiage that links you back to the sacrificial system, i.e. vicarious atonement, such as these partial quotes or words found in 52 and 53 that I hope that you will study out completely. Isaiah 52, 15. So he shall sprinkle many nations. The Hebrew word for sprinkle here is natsah. And in the Torah, it is always relating to the people being cleansed via the high priest's duty to cleanse. This word gives strong indication that the one cleansing is the high priest, as we know blood and water is often used in these rituals. Does that remind you of the cross? Pay attention to the fact that the ritual is involved. See Exodus 29, 21, Leviticus 16, and Numbers 19 for context. What ritual would the New Testament apply to Yeshua? Matthew 26, 29, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Also, Isaiah 53, 7, he is brought as a lamb to slaughter. Clearly, we have vicarious atonement being presented here. Also, in 53, 10, when you make his soul an offering for sin, these are all sacrificial system verbiages. The word offering for sin in Hebrew is the guilt offering found in the book of Leviticus, the Asham in Hebrew. This word is used in reference to one's sins against the holy things of God, whether known or unknown. One would realize their guilt, then bring restitution in their Asham or their guilt offering. Some of these sins were actually for intentional things and some were not but it must always be coupled with repentance. I want you to hear me loud and clear that with the Asham, which is what the servant was in Isaiah 53, as that's what he represents, repentance is key for this offering, not punishment by the authorities. You were free of punishment once you were covered by the blood of the Asham or the guilt offering and you repented. The animal took that punishment via death to atone for you. You see the same thing happening elsewhere with the scriptures stating that sacrifices where the animals would take the sin and then die. If they are not performed properly though, then the people still bear their own sin as you find in Leviticus 10. This is why I believe that the gospel is very strongly connected to the idea of PSA. I often find the biggest contention with PSA is not that a good God would punish someone, but rather that an innocent would suffer for the sins of another. We need to establish what God says about himself to understand how not to misjudge what he did and create a God in our own image. You often hear, my God would never punish an innocent for the sins of the wicked. At this time, I will now cover the P part of PSA. God said in the Torah, he who sins against me, I will blot out, Exodus 32. This established the righteous standard for the God that we serve, which is far greater than that which humans can achieve. And this is why we needed help. We know that Psalm 51 and Isaiah 43, 25 speaks of blotting out the sins, meaning blot out the sins, not the sinner. See Exodus 32 again. Isaiah says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own name's sake, and I will not remember your sins. God's own name's sake is his Messiah. Please study that out. I have been noted as saying, if you are looking for John 3, 16 in the Old Testament, look no further than the Passover imagery. Exodus, we find an example where God punished everyone or anyone who did not obey him. And in this case, bring the Korban Pesach or the Passover lamb. 
which would then include also the Israelites who disobeyed. Everyone suffered through the 10 plagues. Anyone not found with the lamb's blood lost their firstborn. God punished, yet an angel that God sent to smite the firstborns avoided the doors in which were covered with the blood. Since the animal died on your behalf, I think it's safe to assume that animals and those who were not covered by the blood of the animal were punished in some way, shape, or form. Note also again that the sacrifice, Corban Pesach, was given to God, not to anyone or anything else. Of course, we see other examples in the Bible where God punished one for the sins of another. David's child, born to him in Besheva, died. Now, this was not an atonement for David, but rather that David was punished since David's sins caused the nations to blaspheme God. In this verse, you'll find an interesting statement by the prophet. It says that the Lord has he bear your sin. The words root abar comes from the same word used in the Passover lamb example, meaning to pass over, to pass through, or to transfer, even according to Rashi's commentary in Genesis 47, 21, which explains that the word can be used to transfer. So here we have Yeshua, who is our Passover lamb, which protects us from the second death, who died after he bore our sins because these sins were transferred to him so that he might taste death for everyone, just as Isaiah 53, Matthew 26, 28, and Hebrews 2, verse 9 say. You see, Yeshua encompasses the entire sacrificial system, which is why the New Testament tells us that it is a shadow, but Christ is the substance. Some might say, well, what about the Septuagint's rendering of Isaiah 53, verse 10? It doesn't seem to indicate the P part of PSA. My response is simple. Check out verse 5, as it does mention the bruising. But at verse 10 is explaining how it was done, that is theologically. In short, a causative verb used in the Greek, Isaiah 53, 10, from the Septuagint, here now in English. The Lord also is pleased to purge him of his stroke. If you can make an offering for sin, your, your soul shall see a long-lived seed. It would appear that the Septuagint is exegeting the meaning of Isaiah 53.10 in relation to the law. Why? Because it mentioned purging. According to the law, purging and cleansing is with blood, meaning something died. Hebrews 9.22 even affirms this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The word cleansed or purged in Hebrews is the same word in which Isaiah 53.10 Septuagint uses. So as you can see, there are many examples of penal, sacrificial, vicarious forms of atonement being used by the New Testament authors to explain how Christ atoned for us to bring us back to the Father in right standing. All examples of offerings were given to God as prescribed by God to draw near to him. Nothing was given to Satan to appease Satan so that we could be free. So I charge Sean here today with the task of proving how PSA is not biblical and how his own personal theory of atonement, which is, to put it bluntly, that Christ is slitting animal throats along with the angels in heaven, is what the Bible prescribes. We find no direct statements or even vague implications of such means for Melchizedek priesthood, but only that of the Levitical priesthood that he superimposes onto Melchizedek, for which Christ was not a Levite priest. And I concede my time.
All right. Thank you, Courtney. I was five seconds from giving you your 30-second warning. So, hey. All right. So, thank you very much, Courtney, for that opening statement. Uh, Sean, you have 10 minutes starting whenever you start speaking. All right. Thank you, Will. I appreciate it. Um, I put my those slides up in the in the studio if you have an opportunity to uh, awesome. So just for everyone in the chat, as well as anyone that be watching later, um, I'm Sean Griffin, Akita Contacts. I just want to offer a very short history of penal substitutionary atonements, not of penal, excuse me, but all different types of atonement theories. And we'll conclude with the PSA concept. Real quick, recapitulation theory um, is what is attributed to a second century theory from mostly from Irenaeus and Justin Martyr. And the idea is that it, it it's not about a substitutionary concept, but it's more a on the on the lines of Adam failed to do what he needed to do and Christ accomplished what Adam failed to do. And so therefore we get the benefits of the covenant uh, upon the believer's resurrection because of Christ's work. Some of the scriptural language people pull from the scriptures to use recapitulation theory is Ephesians 1.10. And specifically at the end of this verse where it says to bring all things in heaven and earth together with Christ, that word in the Greek for bring is where they get this idea of the recapitulation idea. The ransom theory was uh, the most dominant one throughout history, and that I think is some of the language that um, um, our sister Courtney referred to as far as purchasing back from Satan, this idea. And this is the ransom theory uh, between the 4th and 11th century AD was the dominant view, and it's, the idea is that Adam and Eve sold humanity over to the devil uh, at a time of the fall, and it required God pay the devil a ransom to free us from the devil's clutches. Um, and and then somehow tricked the devil into accepting Christ's death as that ransom. I personally think this is one of the most laughable of all the theories, but it was held in the longest uh, standing historically um, because it's just it, it's absolutely contrived and eisegetical. But um, this is this is what people were taught for a long time. The ransom theory then faded into this concept of satisfaction theory from Anselm of Canterbury around 12th to the 16th century. Um, and this was just. Uh, the satisfaction theory is a little bit different as it talks about a what Anselm thought was an improvement over the ransom theory. He believed the ransom theory was inadequate um, because there should be no debt owed to the devil himself, but that um, the idea of Christ suffering his father's just punishment as, excuse me, this theory became the foundation, the satisfaction theory became the foundation of John Calvin later putting together the PSA theory, uh, or what is commonly called PSA. It was at some points, you know, referred to... Um, as a different name as well. But the classic view of satisfaction theory from the 12th to 16th century was distinguished from PSA. And I think it's important that the audience knows this, that both forms of satisfaction, both forms are a type of satisfaction theory that they speak of Christ's death was satisfactory to the father. But PSA and the Anselmian satisfaction theory differ in how that death was satisfactory. Anselm speaks of human sin as defrauding God of honor that's due. And so therefore, they, the idea is that Jesus was super obedient, went above and beyond, and gave God great honor because of that obedience. And therefore, the debt of honor has been paid because of Christ's work. But um, it still views Christ in a substitutionary manner because it was honor that we owed that was substituted for Christ's honor. So it's kind of an interesting concept. But Calvin's uh, penal substitutionary atonement idea is this punishment needed to be fulfilled for the sins of mankind and Christ took that punishment. And there, in my opinion, are a, a host of problems with that whole theological and philosophical framework, uh, just from scriptural alone, right? And some sought to improve upon the previous ransom theory with his satisfaction theory, but it really just gave the reformers in the 16th century their foundation for this legal framework analogy of penal substitutionary atonement. 
Some of the uh, scriptures that people pull from to support something like ransom theory is from Matthew 20. Um, talk, Jesus is speaking about, you know, whoever is least among you or great among you would be a servant or a minister to others. And just as the son came to be a minister and gave his life as a ransom for many. Um, some of the satisfaction theory scriptures people use would be like 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, talking about you were bought at a price. So therefore honor God with your body. And then also penal substitutionary atonement previously referred to in some Christian communities as forensic theory is this claim that Christ voluntarily submitting to God's plan was punished in the place of sinners. And by doing this, he satisfied the father's demand for justice. This theory concludes that after this punishment was executed upon Jesus on the cross, then God can justly forgive sins, making us at one with him. Some of the scriptural language that people use for PSA uh, can be found for one, one example is 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, we're ambassadors to Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as a quick overview, recapitulation, 2nd century, ransom theory, 4th century to 11th century, satisfaction, 12th to 16th century, and then from 16th century to modernity, uh, commonly held amongst most churches, is a PSA view. All of these, though, are just descriptive metaphors of Christ willfully enduring death by martyrdom on the cross. Simultaneously, all of these theories ignore key and definitions. So both key verses plus the words and their definitions in those verses that explicitly tell us the reason Christ was sent, died, and resurrected. So what does the Almighty instruct mankind for atonement to be made? The non-human requirements for atonement in the Almighty's word, there are structures, furniture, tools, and food involved, a tabernacle and temple, altars, bronze basins, and tools, table of showbread, mercy seat, altar of incense, lampstand and oil, courtyard, Court, curtains, walls, and gates, priestly garments and breastplate, oil, wine, incense, salt, crops, and animals. The human requirement for atonement to be made includes a male with the, the right heart, circumcised body, and clean. This included the Melchizedek and Levite ministers, circumcised heart. This is someone that's a Torah keeper, a circumcised body, the outward sign of the covenant, and a clean and washed body as, a part, as far as the man approaching the father's house. Does the Almighty accept human blood on or human sacrifice on his altar? We see in his scriptures, Leviticus 18.21, Do not sacrifice your children, Molech. It profanes the authority of Yahweh, the name of God. Leviticus 20, verse 3, he's going to set his face against anyone, sacrificing to Molech, because it defiles his sanctuary and his authority. So worship in that manner to an alternate God, he views as an offense to his authority and his house of, of worship. Jeremy 12, 31, you must not worship Yahweh your God in this way. They practice for they practice for their for their gods every abomination which the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the, in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. So we see him explicitly connecting the idea that you cannot, you cannot, he does not accept a human for any form of worship in his house. It profanes his house and his authority. What was the Son of God prophesied to become? What are the definitional language? What is this concept of why Yeshua was sent? Was it to become a substitution for atonement that we should have received? Psalm 110, 4-6 says, He was a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He will judge the nations. There's two qualifiers here, Isaiah 53, 11-12. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about the rest of Isaiah 53 in our discussion. But uh, these two verses particularly says, After the anguish of his soul. So that's after torture by death and martyrdom on the cross. After the anguish of his soul, 
He's resurrected. That's the light of life. And he's satisfied. And by his knowledge, because he was given his priestly appointment after resurrection, that's how the righteous servant will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. Active, active language. Um, as well as the end of verse 12, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The Testament of Levi 18 and 19, and in his priesthood, the nations will be multiplied in knowledge upon the earth, enlightenment of the grace of the Lord. His priesthood shall sin come to an end, and the lawless shall cease to do evil. Now, I'm not suggesting just because Christ was given a priesthood after his resurrection that no one can sin anymore. I think this is referring to the resurrection, which we have a new heart. Our sin is removed from our old body. We're given a heart of flesh with his ordinances, as Ezekiel 36 promises. So we will never sin again. This is how sin is removed from the believer permanently. And we see this concept also about him being the priest who judges amongst the nations, fulfilled in Isaiah 2, 3 through 4, as the nations come to learn the Torah from him at Jerusalem. The sons of God's death on the cross was necessary to get to his resurrection and priesthood. It wasn't because God wanted to punish us all with the torture of the cross. There's nothing in the law that prescribes the torture of the cross for punishment of sin. The reason the Son of God became a man, Acts 2, 30, 31, 33, foreseeing this, David spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, which were all witnesses, exalted, that's the reference to the priesthood, that's terminology for the priesthood, exalted into the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, poured out what you now see in here. First Timothy 2, 5, there's one God, one mediator between God and man, that's Jesus Christ, speaking of his priesthood. Hebrews is replete with active present tense language of Yeshua actively being a priest in the temple in heaven. Chapter 3, he's a high priest, faithful over God's house. Chapter 4, he ascended through the heavens as our great high priest, yet he was tempted in every way but without sin. Hebrews 5, every high priest is appointed from among men to represent them in matters relating to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices. I know there's more language in these verses that some PSA people like to use, like uh, like my sister Courtney here does not believe that Christ is actively performing priestly duties in the heaven's temple, and we can get into them in discussion. That's great. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, and he was heard because of his reverence. That's his obedience. He learned obedience from what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all obey him, designated, designated by God in the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 6, same thing, Jesus is our forerunner, in on our behalf. Not just forerunner in the first resurrection, but forerunner in this priesthood. And we're going to talk about that shortly. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Because he lit, Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. He always lives to intercede for us. That's present, active, ongoing. Chapter 8. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, who ministers in the sanctuary and true tabernacle. Present tense, active language. He's actively ministering. Forever high priest, always lives to intercede in a temple right now in heaven. He's doing a duty that the Father already tells us what priests do in his temple. Um, and chapter 9, 23 and 24 tells us because the copy on the earth had to be sanctified with, uh, purified with sacrifices, the heavenly things themselves are purified with better sacrifices. Why are they better sacrifices being purified the heavenly temple through this better priest that we have? It's because he had the right, perfect, obedient heart. The father needed a perfect man to do this job, not a perfect animal. It's all about the man. That's why corrupt priests in the past, the sacrifices were not accepted by Yahweh, even though they went through the rote requirements for the for the slaughtering of the of the animal and the right type of animal the sacrifices still were not accepted because the priest's heart was not right so in the same way 30 seconds in the same way we all thank you so much um 
there's plenty of verses that talk about the promise of mankind to be in the same priesthood also. So I just want to put these on screen. We'll fly through these. Exodus 19, Isaiah 61, we're promised to become in the same priesthood as him. That means we'll actively be making atonement for people. These will be the survivors of the millennial of, of the day of the Lord that repopulate the earth through the millennial reign. We are the priesthood that will go out and minister to them. That's the point of the resurrected saints in the first resurrection. We see all these verses on the screen. Did the Son of God receive the punishment we literally reserve? deserve isaiah 53 5 through 8 all this language that i hope we get to get into about how he was afflicted for our transgressions none of the transgressions in scripture call for torture by death on a cross so these are metaphors applied to his death from language from the old testament assuming that we understand the old testament hebrews 9 27 28 it is appointed man wants to die but none of us are going to receive the second death if we're repentant and putting our faith in christ and hoping for resurrection that's the point of escaping the second death we can't escape the first death, but we can escape the second death. Yeshua did not receive the second death, right which is the punishment. Okay, thank you. Yep, yep, no worries. Sorry. Um, I'll, I'll let you go a little over. I was like, oh, he's lighting the plane. And then you moved. And I was like, we're not lighting the plane. Okay. <laughs> so, sorry. Um, if you're oh, anything yeah. like me with opening statements, I tend to go forever, too. So, I actually get that so all right guys what we're going to do from here is we are going to go ahead and start uh both of you guys will have a five minute rebuttal and then we get to cro some cross-examination okay all right so courtney five minute rebuttal starting whenever you start all right so um i was not aware <laughs> that we would be bringing slides um so sorry there was no slides prepared with that being said uh I did not hear what Sean actually subscribes to. Now, it doesn't mean that one absolutely has to subscribe to a quote man-made doctrine, but I would submit to you that no matter what Sean says, it's going to be man-made with that meaning that if Sean doesn't subscribe to any of the theories he put on screen, that means he has created a new theory that he needs to tell us all about. And then he would need to substantiate how that is found in the Bible. Again, remember my charge in my opening statement. I charged Sean to be able to prove, one, how PSA is not biblical, and two, how his own personal, which is what I think he's presenting here, theory of atonement where Christ is currently in heaven slitting animal throats is biblical, okay? And again, remember I said more than just vague implications because I don't even see outside of the Hebrew Bible, which Sean appeals to, and I'm fine with that, but Sean appeals to that. I see no reason to see without a shadow of a doubt that we have a example of Christ where we know it is absolutely fundamentally Christ who is in heaven sacrificing animals currently on your behalf here on earth. Uh, Sean brought up a few slides, although he did not actually mention uh, the scriptures where they could be found. He put them on screen and he blazed through them rather quickly. Like Genesis 4, he said that represents Melchizedek. The only thing in my mind that Genesis 4 would represent is that you see people giving offerings. For some reason, I think he uh, appeals to that to say that there was offerings given before Levi. I think we can all acknowledge that that was so. Again, we still need proof as to how the Levitical standards, the parameters in which the Levites were given by God to operate in is now superimposed onto Melchizedek, which essentially just means my king is righteous or king of righteousness. So we would need to actually actively have a discussion on what he thinks righteous or righteousness is and uh, how he would interpret the etymology of that word. Um, 
In Isaiah 53, I believe I seen on one of his, again, he didn't state the actual passage. He just kind of said what he interprets those passages as on, on the uh, side of the slide here. Isaiah 53, he said after. I heard him stress after. But I would wonder what Hebrew word he's using to validate that because I can pull up the Hebrew currently right now and I see no rendering that would uh, give way to his interpretation in my mind that he's trying to lend to to suggest that uh, Christ had to die in order to make it to sit at the right hand of God to then do the mediating as opposed to understanding the mediating was done when Christ died. Um, so he says that the Torah does not state that humans should have to be put on a cross to die, right? I would I would submit to you that in the Torah, it actually mentions in Deuteronomy 21. Now, very clearly, I want you to hear me. Deuteronomy 21, 22, where Paul makes reference to in Galatians uh, 3.13, with regards to cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And we know for a fact that Christ took that curse. I do believe that Sean understands it that way. However, he somehow then uh, uses that passage to state that each one of us has to be bound by the same treatment that Christ was in order for PSA to be valid, which again, if he would have uh, maybe listened to my opening statement a little more, hopefully I'll hear it in the rebuttal as to why my rendering of PSA is inaccurate and why he would even make that statement. Um, he mentions Hebrews 5 and he ac actively notes that Hebrews 5, there are passages that people that may not agree with his understanding where it actively mentions like the blood of Christ and how the blood and the covenant are linked together and how he would say that that means purity and how it means just that he was pure, he was obedient, and therefore that's what gained his access to God. And while I do believe that that is what gained the access to God, again, that is the mediation part that's already done and we're waiting for our king to return. Um, so he says the father tells 30 seconds. You know, what the, the Levites should do, right? Actively, again, the Levites, not Melchizedek. And Psalm 89 seems to give us a slight rendering on what the father would put on the tribe of David, i.e. the king line that could happen, which is that whips and lashes would be how he treated him. Now, we know that this was not ever done to any Judaic king other than Christ. So there's a lot we could get into here, and I hope that we do, and I hope that he answers some of my questions in the rebuttal, and then the cross-examine, we will get into that. All right. Thank you, Courtney. Uh, Sean, your five-minute rebuttal starts when you speak. You're muted. Thank you. Thank you so much, Will. Actually, I pulled up in the studio uh, the scriptures that she's referencing. So this isn't a presentation slide. It's just the scriptures that she's asking me to address. And it is Galatians 3.13 and Jeremiah 24. I don't know if you're going to allow to put that on screen or not. But um, this is this is one of the biggest crux and underpinnings of the PSA argument is, um, well, I'll just read it since we're not going to be allowed to show it anymore. Jeremiah 22, 22 to 33 is a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is executed. You hang his body in a tree. You must not leave the body on the tree overnight. You must be sure to bury him that day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So the reason why that this is 
Um, and of course, you know, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The reason why this is a comparative statement to some people, to, to people he's already taught the law to in Galatia, um, and not saying that Christ literally deserve the cross and that the, the Torah does not literally prescribe death by cross is because the person in Deuteronomy who was, i.e., already killed, he's already killed, and then his dead body is hung on a cross. His body is not hung on the tree or hung by the tree to death. He's already killed for the punishment, and then his body is shown as a sign to the community that God's justice is intact and that you will be punished even with capital punishment. So again, it's it's using a quick reference to something in the law to talk about how Christ received punishment for us. He 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 metaphorically, it's a metaphor pulling from something in the law for Christ's obedience unto death. But there is no prescription anywhere in the Torah that the Father accepts any human blood, much less a human sacrifice, much less prescription of death by cross in order for any form of atonement to be made. So I'm, I am a little baffled that my opponent would say I didn't present anything from, from the Bible or from scriptures that talks about an active ongoing priest in heaven doing priestly duties in the temple. When I done, not only laid out the foundation for what the Father required for a temple, its furniture, utensils, and requirements, but also for a man and what they do according to scripture. Um, and so, yeah, that so if we have a son of man who's been prophesied to come and be a high priest, then yes, after he's dead, that's when his priestly appointment happens when he's ascending to heaven. This is what all the New Testament tells us. So this is why I try to put on the screen um, all these things to kind of run through as quick as possible. A couple notes on some of Courtney's opening statements uh, that I wanted to put forward is that, um, you know, Courtney, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but she mentioned that the, the lens of her view, you know, uh, her specific view goes through the Garden of Eden and the sacrifices per the law, um, and I agree. Isaiah fifty-three is is right and com metaphorically comparing Yeshua to a guilt offering, um, but um, but that doesn't literally make him an actual sacrifice that's accepted in a temple manner by the Father for atonement. He then he would have no reason to become a high priest forever if all that all that propitiation was already completed. The propitiation, by definition of the Torah is through a temple with a priest under all the right requirements. Yeshua and the Father's house in heaven fulfills all those requirements perfectly post-resurrection. And so I, that's why I would strongly disagree with the hermeneutical lens by which Courtney um, is somehow, uh, and I haven't really heard fullness, her lens and how she does that. Um, she also believes that the punishment in Christ has gained better access to the Father. Uh, I put on screen Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, which directly in my opinion, would refute that idea that it was his obedience that gained him his priesthood. Um, and yes, he learned obedience by what he suffered, but it wasn't the punishment that was intended specifically, like the, again, because the Father doesn't require punishment of a human by torturous death on the cross at the hands of his enemies in order for atonement to be made. That's not the process for atonement. What gained him access to the first resurrection, which gave him his new incorruptible body that allowed him in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 to ascend through the heavens to the temple in heaven is the first resurrection body. So if we're talking literal access, he needed the right body. If we're talking uh, spiritual access, he needed the right heart. And so this is, he did, he showed that right heart. 30 seconds. Um, also, it seems as if she is using the, the animal substitution concept in uh, scripture, as far as like an animal's brought forward, 
um, in the in the law, and she's using that to say that was a substitution, and then compares it to Christ's death as a substitution. But the animals that were brought forth in law is not all animals for substitution for atonement and for and for offerings. I mean, you had sometimes grain and wine, and um, you know it wasn't specifically this idea that. Uh, the animal alone, it was a process of a bunch of things. Like I said before, even sometimes when the right animal was brought, the offering wasn't accepted because the heart was wrong. And so, um, thank you. Yep, sorry. <laughs> I said time and then I realized I was muted. I was like, oh, that doesn't help it. Uh, anyway, so um, thank you guys for your input again. Um, now, I think this is going to be a great time because my favorite part of the debate is once now that we've address the issues we presented our thoughts a little bit is now we get to start cross-examining this is where it starts getting fun this is when fireworks can start so the uh, i'm going to enjoy this all right uh courtney uh if you could you could go ahead and start your cross-examination uh you will get 10 minutes and then sean you'll have 10 minutes to examine courtney as well cross-examination that came out weird you're muted you think I would never know? Okay, all right. So, <laughs> on the cross, really fast on the cross examination. Do you want us just to? Can we speak freely, or do you want us just to ask questions? He answers since you said ten minutes for him, ten minutes for. How yeah, do you know? Absolutely no. Uh, I think you could speak freely a little bit, um, ask questions, and let him. Uh, you guys could respond to each other as you guys will. Let. I'll let you guys kind of feel that out for yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Here we go. Um, so Sean, since you actively acknowledge that I mentioned the passage and then you go to exegete uh, Deuteronomy 21 with regards to the curse, curses anyone who hangs on the tree, do you find that Paul misused that verse? No, Paul makes a lot of references in metaphoric fashion to, or in allegorical fashion to the Old Testament because okay. he's already taught his converts the Old Testament. He knows they'll understand the, the reference. Okay, so what happens when someone is under God's curse? Uh, someone that's rejecting his uh, his law and repentance, they're going to face the second death after their first death. Okay, so what would you say God's curse is? I just did. I, I, I'll say it again. It's the second death. Yeah, unless you're talking about capital punishment under specific context of you committed adultery, you murdered somebody, you, you committed a sin unto death. When you say committed to sin unto death, you mean? Yeah, if you're talking about in this human life and these the curses that's being uh, referred to in this human life, as far as the curse of the law, is that you're referring to death in this human life. It's a capital punishment concept carried out by the elders or the priests. But as far as a large standing spiritual theological concept, it would refer to the second death after your first death. So at okay. the resurrection of the wicked and the righteous, the, res the great white throne judgment, the wicked will be resurrected and thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death. Okay. What I'm, let me try and rephrase that. What I'm saying is, what have you done to God that you would be under God's curse? Uh, are you, are you talking about the curse of an application of capital punishment or the second death? Cause I, I answer however you see fit. Okay. So in this life, uh, under the curse of physical capital punishment, because you transgressed a, a law that pertained to the community, you might receive a physical punishment of death. But in the second death, after you're resurrected, uh, like Paul teaches in Acts 24, he believes in the resurrection of the wicked and the righteous. So the wicked will be resurrected to stand judgment before Yeshua and destroyed in the lake of fire as the second death, because you've rejected the law of God, and one of those laws is accepting his prophet, his Christ. 
So you've rejected okay. Christ, you've rejected his repentant life, you've rejected his ways, you'll be destroyed at the, in this lake of fire. Gotcha. So I would it be safe to say that sin equals curse? Not all sin. Again, look at the... What sin? I, I just try to explain it. It's the, the capital punishment. Specific? Okay, only capital I did. Punishment. I did. I gave two, a couple examples of murder, uh, adultery, any sin that leads to death by, okay. by the instructions of the law, not just a general overarching statement, but if but we have to be specific, right? Okay, so what do you do with the example given in Exodus 32? He who sins, the word chet is sin. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say transgress, but he who sins against me, I will blot out. What do you believe that means? Well, that's obviously someone who hasn't repented. We do we do take the fullness of scripture, right? And same with Ezekiel 18, the soul who sins will die. Okay. Hebrews so, 9 20, Hebrews 9:27, it's appointed man wants to die, but also if someone after that first physical bodily death, if they've not received atonement for their sin through faith in God, through his mediators, then you will receive the second death for your sin. Okay. So I've tried to go through the concept of in this life and how the death atonement or the, the death punishment applies versus sinning uh, and how that is an overarching, okay. longer standing result of the second death. Got it. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is you keep making reference to what you're, you're calling capital punishment. So these sins would be the sins that uh, the Torah gives you no way to for, uh, return for, meaning you can't bring a Corbin, you can't slaughter an animal and just, again, David says in Psalm 51, if there was an offering, I'd bring it. So that would be... Uh, what verse is he saying? Hold on from? one second. Hold on. Uh, that would be adultery. Uh, that would be idolatry. That would be breaking sh uh, Shabbat and not getting caught. Are these the sins that you're referencing? Um, I'm pretty sure. No, well, for one, I already said if a person doesn't repent, and I, I would disagree with your whole premise of your question, that you think that there's a sin that someone can't have any atonement for. We are even told specifically with David. According to the law with animals. According to the law with animals, what offering would one bring if you committed adultery and you were not caught? To be this adjudicated gonna, by man. This is going to be covered in, in the Leviticus 16 yearly atonement by the priest for the corporate Israel. Okay, what if you died before Yom Kippur? It's covered from last year. Depends. The father judges each according to his actions in their hearts. And the priestly process is, is a part of that. But it's there's, there's going to be a lot of people who never confess a specific sin and never comes to light. Also, we see in your example, we see in Acts chapter 2, um, Peter is directly telling us that David is is not is going to be resurrected. Like we're going yeah. to see David. I again. believe that David's going to be resurrected, but yeah. it's because of Christ, not because of a, a Corbin. Well, I do too. I, I didn't say, um, yeah, I do, but Christ is doing the Corbin. Christ is doing the, the atonement offerings. Okay. We're told in the New Testament that uh, Yeshua is likened unto a Passover lamb. Now, again, I mm -hmm. believe that Christ is all encompassed into all of this, but it's referencing sacrificial system of atonement. I'll move on. Does you, you keep making mention to the fact that um, the law doesn't subscribe that we all, it doesn't state that we all have to die on a cross. Do you understand that every passage in the law to be applied to either each individual person or that it has to all total in the totality of it apply to God. Are there passages that are just to humans or just about God? Um, help me understand your question in relationship okay. to your lead, I'll rephrase your, build up, it. your lead up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll rephrase it. So in the law, are there any passages that cannot be applied to Christ because it doesn't 
fit him. And I'm not talking about like the laws of Nada or separation with a woman. I'm talking about like, um, you know, a passage that uh, people often apply to Christ. But really, if you read in the context, it has nothing to do with Christ, it has something to do with the way God interacts with humans or way humans interact with each other. So is it possible? The question is, is it possible that there are passages in which are only for Christ to fulfill, therefore they don't apply to humanity at all. Can you can you give an example of what Psalm you're talking 22. about? Could I mean, you other, fulfill Psalm 22? Uh, uh, yeah, you're asking me if there's passages like if there's prophecies about Christ. Yeah, that, that of course that doesn't apply to anybody else. There's prophecies. Okay, about so then why would you state that um, we? have to all die on a cross or you, your implication is that the law doesn't tell me where in the law it says that we all have to die on a cross for this to apply to Christ. Because that was your argument. No, that wasn't my argument. That's PSA argument. No, you literally no, no. said the punishment that Christ received was due to us all. This is the whole constitution of substituting the punishment. It's mm -mm, literally no, the, no, it's it, the fundamental argument of PSA. No, no. If you go back and listen, I, I'll, I'll very quickly just to uh, recap for, for you on what I said that I think PSA is best explained as. Uh, let's see, I said, I believe PSA is best explained, not that Christ took on an eternal punishment that we were owed, meaning Christ isn't put to death forever. He didn't uh, bear the second death, right? Uh, that we were owed, but that he, via punishment as a symbolic lamb, led to slaughter, restored what was lost in the garden that is eternal life. Because if you don't have eternal life because we sin, then you have eternal damnation because God is a just God. So then um, you actually have a different definition than modern, than most PSA people. Right. I had no problem with oh, that, but okay. I, it's still penal. It's still punishment. It's still sacrificial system and it's still atonement, which is why I define each word. I did P then I did the S and then I did the A and I broke sure. that down in my opening statement. All right. So um, by definition, you, continuously describe Melchizedek's priesthood as if it's Levi. Can you show me where that is applied without applying Levi to Melchizedek? Without applying Levi? For one, the whole thing's a, a, a miss, miss, missed ask question, if I could lovingly put it like that. Um, God's law, which is eternal, his priests minister his law by the same standard at all times. So can this you, is this is yeah that? this is Psalm one nineteen one through three um, this is Psalm one one nineteen one forty two and one sixty his laws eternal his statutes okay. ordinances and regulations mm -hmm. are everlasting so right. if he has right. a minister do you not want the answer you no I hear you I just have only ten minutes and you okay. you're free to ask whatever whenever it's your turn um, it just it seems odd to me that you would apply that but we have nothing in the Hebrew Bible from the way that I can see it even the just gave you Psalm nineteen Psalm one nineteen. Right, but that's about the law according to Torah, according to the Levitical system. Uh, Hebrews nine twenty, Hebrews nine twenty six, and Matthew sixteen twenty one all actively mention Christ had to suffer, suffer like that is the P part of PSA. He had to suffer. Do you deny that? Yeah, it was prophesied that he would be tortured. Thirty recently. seconds. So yeah, just because the father knows what how his son's going to die when he's handed over when he's sent to a wicked and adulterous generation doesn't mean that that is his requirement for atonement. He just knows like what's going to happen. Yeah. It, the it, Torah directly refutes. I put the scriptures on the screen for the audience to see. The Torah directly does not accept human sacrifice at any point for atonement. All righty, uh, Sean, you can begin your awesome. 
your 10 minute cross examination whenever you start. Awesome. Um, Courtney, what would you say? Um, so you take serious contention with me claiming that the the prophecies of Christ to become a priest and that the New Testament language of him being an active high priest, um, you take serious contention with that. Um, so I would ask uh, in Matthew 22 at the wedding supper of the lamb, there's a slaughtered ox and fattened calves are slaughtered for the meal, the, the wedding supper. Are you okay with that animal's throat being slit for that meal? I'm perfectly fine with the sacrificial system. I actually believe that the sacrificial system will return according to uh, Ezekiel 40 through 48. It's very detailed. However, I don't think that Christ is in heaven sacrificing animals. And I don't think that you've provided substantial amount of evidence according to the Bible to show that he is. So Matthew 22, that's happening in the kingdom of heaven. Right. I believe that there are animals in the kingdom of heaven. I believe so, that. This so there's just that. Is it are you just saying just on that one occasion for the wedding supper of the lamb that that's the only time that that the father's going to slay slaying an animal for a meal? Right. So I, I think your question is not that Christ is sacrificing animals in heaven for our atonement, but do we eat in heaven? Well, that is literally what sacrifices are in the Old Testament. Not necessarily. It yes, depends. It if you are a Levite, yes, you would have, you would eat of that. However, and that's really that's really just because you don't want to have a bunch of wasted meat. Something. So we got the the peace for. offering. Literally, is grain that's cooked into bread. You have wine that they drank with the sacrifices. You have they ate the lamb, could not could not eat it after the third day. Like mm -hmm. it, this, all this stuff. Numbers eighteen, the portion of the priests' portions is the part of the table of the Lord. It's all literally food that was prepared and cooked on an altar and eaten. Right, right. I believe this is so because they didn't have their own land. As we are told, this is their inheritance. This is their job, right? If they're not out hunting, they're not growing their own grain. This is how they would eat. The people would okay. bring that forward, which is why that's a part of your tithe. Also. Okay, so do you believe that the God's law is eternal? Uh, what do you define as law? All of his law. Do you believe his law, obviously within application? So if you have a temple in heaven, or maybe I should ask a, a, a different lead up question. Do you believe that the father has an actual literal temple in heaven? Yeah, I believe that we uh, are copying essentially what you see as the Garden of Eden. Yes. So you don't, so you don't. Yes. Okay, yes. so Hebrews 8, Hebrews 8, 1 through 5 says that the, 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 the patterned tabernacle on the ground was built after the one that Yeshua ministers in in heaven. Not, nothing to do with the Garden of Eden. So do you believe that that statement is true or not? Yes, I believe it's true. I just think that you don't understand that that is the Garden of Eden or Mother Zion or as Paul, Mother Jerusalem, as Paul would call it. So, I'm, well, I, I actually, the encompassing geographical area of kingdom is not the actual house of tabernacle inside that kingdom. So I'm talking about specifically, okay. specifically the, the, the utensils, the altars, the bronze basins, the curtain, mm -hmm. like the walls, the Holy of Holies, all that stuff. It says that that was patterned the one in heaven. After what you see. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Okay. I so agree. you you agree with that. So then that means I agree that, that there is a place in heaven. That, that looks means that there's a temple in heaven with altars and with utensils. What would they use those utensils for on that altar? I'm not in heaven. I, I wouldn't know. I'm not going to presuppose what they would or would not. I'm just doing. asking you what the scriptures blatantly tell That's us in Hebrews 8. I see. I see. Um, yeah, I'm done. I confirm my time.
That was a quick cross-examination. That mute button's going to be the death of all of us. The what? Um, the, the, the mute button's going to be the death of all of us. We all <laughs> keep talking while not unmuting ourselves. Okay, so at this point, we're going to have open air. So this is going to be where you guys can go ahead and just talk it out. We will also take audience questions. I will reiterate again that Super Chats will be prioritized, not because I want your money, but just because if you're going to choose to throw money at us, we will, of course, try to answer your questions. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, I don't know who wants to kick us off on uh, this portion of the debate, but I'll let you guys have it out, and I will chime in with questions as they come through, or if you see one specifically in the chat that you guys want to address as well, okay? Sure. Sweet. Okay, so, Sean, in your video, atonement, the metaphors versus the process, at 9 minutes and 33 seconds in, ten up to roughly about 10 minutes and 6 seconds, you say, and I quote, and angels in heaven do it as well in the temple in heaven, and now Yeshua and then you mentioned Hebrews 8 also does it in the temple in heaven above the angels in authority over all priesthood. Then just a few moments later, you say, this is where he is making atonement for us because he is over the process. Can you show me this in the Bible without misapplying Hebrews 8, where you assume this Hebrews 8 supports your position again of Levi duties? So, on so you want me to not use scripture to talk about Yeshua's priesthood that you're asking directly about? No, I want you to show me somewhere in the Hebrew Bible where it says Melchizedek is slitting animal. Is, is the book of Hebrews part of the Hebrew Bible? Sure. I mean, well, the book of Hebrews, in my mind, so let me rephrase. I do believe the book of Hebrews is a part of my Bible, but it's not the Hebrew Bible. You think it was written by a Hebrew? Two Hebrews? Um, I mean, I, my personal opinion is that it's written, uh, written with Paul kind of ideas, but he charged a scribe and things like that. But that's irrelevant to the fact that it's not in the old Testament or the Hebrew Bible or Tanakh. Yeah. Do you believe that the new Testament writers were living in the old Testament or the new Testament? Uh, I believe that they were living during the intermediary time when the new Testament was still oral and not yet written down. Okay, so I'm just saying I don't. You're not saying that the writer of Hebrews made up new theology, right? You, you... absolutely not. I'm saying that you're okay. misinterpreting his position. Well, we understand that's why you that's why you want to debate this topic. I get that, but right. um, I know your position that you disagree. <laughs> okay, with. I get that. I get that. So to answer your question directly, okay. um, this is why I tried to to answer it directly earlier. We we only see one moment in Genesis, uh, according to the rabbinical accepted Old Testament canon. <laughs> we only see one example in Genesis where a Melchizedek um, is uh, in the process of receiving a tithe, which we know, according to God's law, is an offering. We also see in Genesis 4 that they're bringing an animal sacrifice, which is a first fruit, which is an offering with an altar. That means there's a priest that has to accept it according to God's eternal, everlasting law. This is what I was trying to express earlier, that you have an everlasting law. This is something that we may fundamentally disagree with, where you might you may lean towards a dispensation theology. But um, yeah, you yeah. say no, but then when I say is God's law everlasting, as well, far as Sean, all the righteous he, ordinances, decrees, and statutes which pertain to the priesthood. This is why right. I use those specific to Levi. <laughs> to Levi. To Levi. Levi so here's the part. Yeah, Levi just received his priesthood from a Melchizedek. This is how it's passed down. It was given it from Jacob. 
So the only reason we have the Levite priesthood, according to the Old Testament, is because it was it was designed to go to the lineage of Levi mm -hmm. at that point in time. And this is a book that is an ancient Israelite Old Testament canon that the rabbis rejected in the first century. It's the book of Jubilees that directly tells you that Jacob passed the priesthood down to Levi. That's when it started the Levitical ancestral procession. Okay. Bloodline uh, procession. Is this a question? Or is this okay? I'm actually answering your direct question about the correlation between Melchizedek and Levi and the okay, eternal nature of God's law and how they do sacrifices. Right. But you mentioned first fruits, which I completely agree with, according to Isaiah 27, in my humble opinion, uh, with regard to Yeshua's offering as the first fruits of the resurrection. It makes mention to this is how one's guilt would be atoned for. This is, a, a I think, a very prominent passage to Isaiah 59 and Jeremiah 31 in regards to the covenant. But I also made mention to the tithes, but again, the tithes were given of the people. So it seems to me Melchizedek um, received a tithe from Abraham. Correct. But that would have mean that he would have received something in relation to the people. In Abraham was other a part words, of the people. He was given something. Go ahead. I'm sorry. A Abraham was part of the people. That's why he tithed the Melchizedek. Yeah, and this is why the New Testament seems to indicate that Melchizedek's priesthood is higher than that of Levi. Again, we find nothing where Melchizedek is actually making offerings. Again, again, uh, to receive a tithe is an offering, literally by definition of Torah. No, you are not slitting animal throats. You are receiving. Not the point. I already said there's many oh, other is. offerings other than actual animals involved, and okay, hold on, it, hold depending on. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. Depending on you don't, it doesn't even actually articulate in Genesis 14 of the tenth of the spoils that he got from the king of Sodom, or it's not from the king of Sodom, but from his spoils that he received um, from that battle. It doesn't even tell you all the things he got. Now it was typical in Old Testament conquests that you would you would receive a portion the of the animals the as well as the crops and the money. So you would give a tenth of all that to the priest oh that you you were in obedience to. Right, but it, it seems to indicate first fruits. We know that Christ is the first fruits, but it's not that he's the first fruits because he is up in heaven I, splitting animal fruit. I'm sorry, I, I thought you were asking me specifically about the Melchizedek priesthood in a, in a sacrificial or a temple type of duty and process, and I was answering that. If you'd like to ask a different question about Christ and same. him being a first fruit and a metaphor, we can talk about that. It's the same question, Sean. You have yet to show where Melchizedek's priesthood is bound by the same laws or ordinances that you super You have to look it up. I gave you the verses. You'll have to look it up. It's the idea that Yahweh's law is eternal. It's in Psalm 119, replete everywhere. His okay. ordinances and statutes are, are eternal. And I also showed you, I, I could show you in Isaiah 56, 7. I could show you in all of Ezekiel, all the sacrifices done in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 45. We can go into Zechariah 14. They're celebrating tabernacle. Yes, we know there's, there's sacrifices. Yes, the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. So maybe this goes into our eschatological views. That could be the big disparity here. No, so I, what, I don't think in any way, shape or form, no matter whether you believe, let's say it, I'm a preterist even, I'm not, but let's just say that I am. I still don't think Christ has ever sacrificed an animal in heaven on behalf of your sins as an asham, or a guilt offering, sorry. I have do a, you, before, I'm sorry, do you mind if I interrupt with a yeah, that's question? Fine, hey, do you, okay. can you, um, I don't, are we supposed to answer these? 
No, I, I just haven't started. I just put this down there with Super Chats. I always just Oh, gotcha. I was like, am I supposed to answer that? Yeah, no, no. Uh, I'm just actually, I am going to ask it, though, because okay. I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer that, because I did notice that as well in the debate. And I was like, oh, what are your response would be? So uh, L. Wilkins 25 said, Courtney, you say you don't know what the utensils in the Heavenly Sanctuary are used for, but you do know they're not being used for offerings. So I think this is referring to like, no, I didn't say that I don't know means that it's possible. But what we see in the scripture is that these things are holy and that Christ is the substance and that these things are a shadow of these of what we see. Um, again, I believe this is very heavily related to the Garden of Eden, etc. And Isaiah 54 seems to see it, that it's expanded. I go and prepare a place for you, so on and so forth. It doesn't seem that this would be used so that Christ could Again, currently, right now, slit animal throats, just as is what we see prescribed in the book of Leviticus, Exodus, etc., for the Levites. Christ okay. was not a Levite. Thank you for that. Hope that helps uh, L. Wicket Wilkins on that. I also have another question from Idol Killer. If you guys are not familiar with Warren McGrew, you should be. He's the goat. Um, love the guy. He's actually a good dude. Um, anyway, question. He said, for both, did the crucifixion make God propitious? Go ahead, Sean, I'll let you go first. Um, real quick, Will, in some of these, this back and forth cross-examination, like I'm trying to actually finish answering our questions, but if I get kind of chopped in half on that. Oh, good point. Okay, will yeah, I ever uh, get a chance to go back and actually yeah, finish how about the answer? This, how, about you, how about you finish your answer real quick, and then we can get to Idol Killer's question. Warren's okay. not that important. Okay. So, um, Testament of Levi, chapter 3, verse 5. In the sixth heaven are the angels who minister, make propitiation to the Lord for all the sins of ignorance of the righteous, offering to the Lord a sweet-smelling savor. That's something that's cooked. A reasonable and bloodless offering, just like the Torah. So that's uh, Testament of Levi, chapter 3, verse 5. If you want, I would also point to Revelation, chapter 5, which talks about the angels in heaven bringing forth the altar, which represents the prayers of the saints, just like we see from the book of Exodus. It's the same concept, the same temple in heaven, the same priestly duties being carried out. Uh, Yeshua was then put in a high priest's position and authority above the angels, as Hebrews 1 states. Literally says he's actively interceding for us. There's only one definition on all of Torah for that, and that is a, a priest doing duties inside of a temple, making meals for the priesthood to eat inside the temple as well as for the Father. And so I guess the bigger question, Courtney, comes down to, do you believe the Father has a real body and is able to eat meals with us? Um, <laughs> uh, so I believe God is spirit. Do I believe that a spirit could have a body? Sure. Do I think it's uh, flesh and bone or besser and blood, besser and dumb? No, I don't think he is. However, um, that's not really the topic of conversation, what God's body is. It's it, all God, connected because you believe that they're not doing priestly duties in heaven. I, I do. The God, I, the God of Israel eats of the sacrifice. That was why they present food to him. Okay. So if you don't think he's sharing that we're sharing in the portion of the table, even though we're promised to be priests in the Father's house at the resurrection, Christ is already there on, at first as a forerunner, then then who are they making meals for in his house? Who what you're saying there's all that process is abandoned just because they're in heaven above. No, I said that it's a shadow of Christ. That's what I said. What's the um, substance? If, if it's a shadow, then what's the actual substance that they're doing up the there? The substance is Christ. 
That's pointing not an you the sister. entire the reason why Paul and, and others uh, seem it's to indicate an that it's a tutor that the law is a tutor it's to point you to the, Christ the, the tutor does not teach you opposite behavior to the master they present you to right so since, so since our master is Christ and we're presented to him at the resurrection he's already the forerunner in a priesthood just like we're promised to be and he's already ministering in temple like Hebrews 8 1 and 2 says what is he no, if no, he's no. not Hebrews doing the shadow no, no, hold on hold on so Hebrews 8 does not indicate that he is currently slitting animal throat. And I, I keep, I'm going to keep saying this, Sean, because there's literally no passage that you can prove without taking the job. There is nothing in the Courtney, Hebrew Bible. Hold on, Sean. You, you have there to is, redefine on, the word for sacrifices and ministry. 30 seconds. There's nothing that indicates in the Hebrew Bible the job of a Melchizedek priest is this. You are super Yes, it does. That. No, there's not. Yeah, because again, a minister, you have to, your, your whole hermeneutic, your whole foundation is that you're redefining the word minister in God's temple. Mm -mm. So can you show oh, me no. a definition? The onus is on you. You have to show me a definition. Always... You have to show me a definition where it's suddenly a minister in Hebrews 8, 1 and 2 is different from a minister of Exodus 28, 1. Sean. If you could do that, then, you have then made this a, conversation's over. And listen, you have made a substantial claim. And, and you need, have, the onus is upon you to show me there's a different definition for a minister in God's house. Can you do that? No, 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 Sean. Yes, You're not yes, understanding yes, how this. I absolutely I, understand the scriptures, and I'm asking you to defend your case. That's not what I said. I didn't say the scriptures. Please you defend your out. case. I, Sean, that it's, it's literally in every point of our debate, I've asked you to show me where. And the I reason have. I'm so descriptive. I just did. I just read a verse to you. Did you, reason, you didn't have a response on, at all? I'm trying to answer. The reason I'm so descriptive is because I want you all to understand what is what is being portrayed by Sean, that Christ is literally slitting animal throats in order. Courtney, that, hold on. Did the Old Testament, did they slit animal throats? Or, may I finish, please? Did they slit animal may throats I, in the Old I Testament? Finish, please, Sean. Sean. Why are you denigrating the law of God? I'm certainly not. I'm being expressive so that everyone can understand because it seems that you just kind of patch it over as if it's just food. That's not what we're, we're saying. That's not what you're saying here. You're essentially saying that Christ is spilling the blood of goats and bulls for which the, he, the book of Hebrews very clearly tells you will never take away sins, right? What but is the taking away of sins? You, your whole lens is that you're assuming that atonement is the same thing as the resurrection. No, no, atonement you're conflating the two ideas. So that's my point. That's that's I think you're helping my point here, Sean. I and need so you to define to what answer, a minister is. To answer, can I finish? So, to answer the question, which is very simply this there is nothing that shows us that Christ is actively performing the duties of Levi. Okay, there's nothing, and I wish you would just say that. And then say, this is the way there, that there I is something. That's why I've been showing scripture. There is a lot of no, things. You've been showing. Would you like to ask me about a scripture and then I could answer you with scripture? Would I like to what? Would you like to ask me a question about scripture and I can answer, I can answer you. With I have. Scripture. Where is the passage? I just read shows... Testament three, Testament Levi three, five, and I'll read, I let revelation five where angels are doing priestly duties. I can also go to Luke 22 where Yeshua directly says he's going to end the kingdom, not on earth in the kingdom. For your atonement, Sean. For what is a Passover lamb? Not for eating, Sean, please. For atonement. I, okay. I've already. I Do you understand at the resurrection, we won't need atonement, right? Do you, you understand? The oh, I understand that completely, okay. which is why I'm asking. So then you're not resurrected now. Do you need atonement for your sins now? Of course, I am a human, but I'm asking okay. you, show me why it is that what Christ did on the cross, 
which you've already acknowledged that he had to suffer. Why is that ignored so that you can superimpose the job of that's, Levi onto that's him? That's a, I mean, you're, you're assuming I'm ignoring something. I didn't ignore it at all. Well, can I you just explain said, why Christ needed to suffer? Cause the discussion. I did. Yes. I did. He was sent to a wicked and adulterous generation and that was how he gets to his resurrection and then his priestly appointment. Why couldn't he have just lived to his ripe old age? Because he needed to get to his resurrected, glorified bodies to minister. So in the he needed to suffer. Do you, you want to? Okay. So he needed to suffer? So the point is, he was destined to suffer because he was sent to a wicked and adulterous generation that murdered all the prophets before him. He even reprimanded okay. them for this in Matthew 23. Okay. Would you not say that almost pretty much every generation would be wicked? Uh, no. If he'd have shown up in Hezekiah's day in Israel, they wouldn't have murdered him. Really? I would say that that you'd have to prove that. That's pretty... How about Josiah's day? But, How about King David's day? Would they, so would they have... Now you're basically saying Psalm 22, Daniel 9, all the passages which indicate that he would suffer at a specific time is irrelevant that it Please only happens to be that Please he has showed up in a wicked time frame. No, at the fullness of time. And you know what the fullness of time was for? So my well, point is, Sean, can you please just answer directly? I did answer you directly. So your answer is that he died because uh, he showed up to wicked people, but that's not. I just want to make a quick uh, declaration to the audience that um, this happens in almost every single debate I, I seem to get into. Um, whomever my opponent is, if they don't like my answer, they start claiming I'm not answering directly. So let's let it just be known. Let Rewind the tape. And listen to my answers. I'm trying to answer our sister as forthright and directly as possible. And I would, I, you've asked me a lot of questions, Courtney. So how is, yes, Courtney, it's my it turn was... to ask you a quick question. You've okay, asked me ahead. a lot of questions. Okay. Go ahead. Can you show me a different definition for a minister in heaven's temple? Um, not off the top of my head. Okay. So then you do not have a scriptural precedent for a minister not doing priestly duties in the temple in heaven. No. The priestly duties are relevant to forgiveness of sin. Nothing indicates that one has to 100% again be sacrificing animals on behalf of one's sin in order to minister again. Just because you, you relate it to portions of forgiveness doesn't mean that I deny that a minister is ministering, i.e. for causing that one to What's be he doing to minister? If he's an active, ever tense, Christ always living to intercede. offered, as the scripture says, as Paul Courtney, says, the scripture says. Courtney, what is he, he must, doing to I'm ever live to intercede for Sean, us? Sean, I'm answering you. Sean, I'm answering you. That he had to come, right? He had to bear the sins. He had to die, be buried for three days, and be resurrected. What does the Torah the mean to bear the sins? What does Torah define as bearing sins in Leviticus? Well, bearing the sins, again, as I said in my opening statement, means that the punt one, the punishment is related to bearing that sin. What does the is, Torah define as bearing sins, sister? I don't understand your question. Well, then what you don't passage? understand Leviticus. It's Leviticus 10, 17. Okay. And I mentioned Aaron, in my opening Aaron, statement. Did you hear Aaron that? Eats the priestly, Aaron eats the priestly portion, and that is literally him bearing the sins of the people. So he would also have that. It's also in Exodus 28. Yes. In the breastplate, yeah. he carries okay. the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart. Okay, in in Exodus twenty eight, it's also made reference to the what offering, the first fruits offering, which is why I make reference to Isaiah twenty seven with Christ being the first fruits. Him being resurrected to get to his priesthood has no does not negate his priestly duties. No, what no, what it does is that's when the ministering had ended, right? Our king is righteous. There Notice, is no definition for ministering by death on a cross. That is not the definition of ministering. This is PSA no, hermeneutics. He ministered. 
he already did the duties. Now he sits as the, the king waiting. At to no point. Hebrews show 3. Me a, show me where the I'll show you right now. I'll show you right now. I'll show answer your what? question right now because your whole premise is. Uh, what, what's my question? Built off. You, could read mine. you just said that he ministered before the cross and at the cross. And I'm telling yeah, you right here. If verse four, Hebrews eight, four, if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest. Right. Since there were already priests who offered gifts according to the law. According this is why, to the law. Notice. This is why this is why in Hebrews eight, one right. and two, it says he's in the true tabernacle ministering as a priest only because he had to go there first to do his priesthood. He couldn't do it while on the earth. The cross was not a definition for a minister in the, the tabernacle of Yahweh. You're, mis you're misinterpreting what I'm asking you, Sean. I don't know how else to ask the question, and I don't know why you keep trying to avoid the question. Um, Again, these, these type of claims, I just want, every time you do it, I'm going to point out to the audience, these are these are false false claims that I'm avoiding the question. I'm directly I trying to feel, answer all these questions. Sean, it's not a false claim. I do feel like you're avoiding just saying, listen. Answer it again. It. Ask it again, and I'll try to give you another direct answer. Can you show me where Christ is slitting animal throats in heaven for your atonement of sins? I did. Hebrews 8, 1 through 2, he's ministering the true sanctuary in heaven. The word minister in scripture is defined as a priest offering propitiation, ministering sacrifices into the Father's house. Okay. That is the so, definition. So therefore, if you disagree with that definition, Courtney, you must, you must, if we use the scriptures for our faith and our definitions of our faith, mm -hmm. you must show me from scripture where there's a different definition for a minister in father's priest and father's. So my question is when a first, that was my return. That was my return question to you. I, and I, I am, you, and, and I'm, I'm answering, no, no. and I'm answering, and it's not going to be just a question I'm answering. So when a offering of first fruits was given to the priest, was that ministering when it was given to him? Yes. yes. Okay, thank you. So Christ, as the first fruits, ministered not only okay, you're conflating himself, you're conflating the duties of the people that bring forward offerings of first fruits versus Yeshua being called a first fruit at his resurrection. So right. this he is, is a, a first fruit the unto priest, the father. Remember, the, Sean, we're there's nothing in the Torah. There is nothing in the Torah moment. that says the priest can be the actual offering of first fruit given to the father. This, he receives the first fruit. You're conflating the law. No, I, he is according to the law. He is the substance. That is my point, Sean. You are. This is this is Christian dogma. You're repeating Christian dogma Ooh. of metaphoric interpretation that suddenly Christ fulfills all the all the things of the law, but you take away all the practicality out of the actual instruction of the law. No. So no, this is why you're conflating no, the idea of people bringing job. you're conflating people bringing sacrifices to the priest versus Yeshua being called a first fruits of the first resurrection. Why would he so be there is no application the law is not involved with this? Is because it, he's literally he's literally the first righteous obedient one who's resurrected in the covenant of Israel. He receives the covenant of eternal life, the promise of the covenant. Why not of just go Israel. to a righteous individual? Why liken him unto a first fruit? Because he received the resurrection, which is the promise of the covenant, sister. That has nothing to do with the question. It has I everything asked. to do with it. As if it you just don't understand it, then I'm Why sorry. Would it has everything he to do be with it. called a first fruits. I just answered you directly. No, you I just answered you. No, you didn't. My so, turn to ask you a quick question. Go I'm going to ask it again because you said you don't have an answer for it. You don't have an answer. For you said, I asked you what another definition for from the scriptures I, I for minister. You said you don't have you. You can't show me that. that no, I can't answer. show you like right here. I don't have that written down. What I said is a part of the ministering is receiving these gifts, 
which you've just acknowledged. Thank you for that. Receiving these <laughs> gifts, that's a part of ministering, Sean. And as a the high priest, priest. Okay. So I just as a just as a just as for someone that's um anyone that's listening to this, in case you're in case you haven't read the front of the Bible and you're not familiar with Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the process of the priesthood, uh, the priest who receives the first fruits then in turn takes that and offers it in a sacrifice to the Father. So the priest himself is never called the first fruits. So this, when we understand these, just like Yeshua it talks about his blood making mm -hmm. propitiation for us in First Peter, the sprinkling of his blood washing us clean, just like it talks about him becoming sin for us who knew no sin, just like it talks about him becoming a curse for us. These are all references pulled from someone who knows the law itself Why? and understands Why? the reference. But Why? it doesn't mean that we've redefined the law and Why? now make Christ the fulfillment of these things without practically going through the motions of obeying Why? the law. John. So this is where I think it's really important that uh, we define our terms according to the front of the book and not through Christian lenses of why Sean the New Testament why why would the new you want to ask a clear question why would the New Testament call Christ these offerings if you are trying to make proclamation that he is he's, not? he's the New Testament calls Christ uh, the living water he calls him bread he calls him wine he calls mm -hmm. him a shepherd it calls him a Passover lamb it calls him all relating to the the sacrificial system yeah assuming that you know the law to know where the reference comes from yes so again so the point what's is the relevance in him being the first the point is none of those yeah. metaphoric references negate the duty by which he was prophesied to become he was prophesied to become a priest in the old testament while the levites were still operating you he think that they that suddenly question. were given a different definition for their messiah to come so can you can you answer that directly what was the question okay i'll ask it again in psalm 110 1 through 4 mm -hmm. yahweh is prophesying the messiah to become a high priest and rule over the nations and the Levitical priesthood was active in that day. They mm -hmm. knew exactly what that means for a Melchizedek to be a priest to the father. Do you think that they had a different working definition for how a priest would minister at the right hand of the father in heaven? Yeah, I, I do. With Melchizedek, that's the whole basis. for. You have to show that from priesthood. scripture. They all and understood Sean, what that means. I've asked you, the Bible literally does not give you. It does. I gave it to one, you. Step two, step three, step four for Melchizedek. The, I, gave, the, I gave it to you in the Testament of Levi, three and five. You have a habit of cutting people off whenever they're given an answer. I've seen you do this quite a lot. So please give me a chance to finish. It's and been I a very finish. fair amount of cutting off in this court, in this conversation, Courtney. Okay. But you asked me a question and I'm trying to answer directly. Okay. In the Bible, Melchizedek is my king is righteous or king of righteousness, which essentially means a king that has such a high righteous standard that he's one without sin. There's two different, two main definitions of righteousness. Where you, you can be a righteous and right standing person. And then you can be justified, which is where this word Zadach comes from. Okay. It's the, the origin of the word. So the point that it seems to be getting at very clearly I'm is so that confused. I'm so confused, sister. Go ahead. How do you, how do you have these definitions of the words, but you refuse to give a definition for a minister? I've already given a definition. I'm saying that you, you're trying to get me, you're trying to force me into the Defining idea your of terms. minister. I did define my term. I've simply stated, I don't have like the script. I didn't have the passage, right? Well, it says- What does a minister do? Define minister. the term. So ministers in the Levitical system, not only do they minister on behalf of the people, they are the bridge between human and God, okay? Uh, this may, I'm answering your question, Sean. I'm letting you, I'm letting you. I didn't say okay. anything. Okay, so they minister between God and man, which the New Testament seems to say Jesus did. 
And within those duties, you find there are sacrifices, there are tithes, there are duties involving rituals. Again, in my opening statement, I made mention to this. All of that encompasses the duty of. Just because I state that Christ is doing one portion of that doesn't mean that that he somehow is not ministering because he's not doing the other portion, which is the, the slitting of animals in heaven. Sean, I don't, I've answered your question. The question that still remains is you've not been able to prove that there is a, why is there no book and all the books that you find to be relevant to study? And Sean, I don't hate you for that. I know a lot of people give you a lot of heat for reading a bunch of books. I have no problem with that. Okay. I've mentioned 99% of everything I mentioned today is from the, the I'm, I'm telling you, right. I'm giving, I priest, I preloaded that for a reason. Yeah. I got a quick question. In for any you. book. Can you find me in any book yes. anywhere that yes. literally says Christ, the Mashiach, Jesus, whoever, whatever, that we know without a shadow of a doubt that he literally is slitting animal throats, pouring it out at the base of the altar, offering it as a, as an Allah, as a, as a, yes. Hashat, as a, a yes, I, okay. I gave it to you already. I'll give it to you again. Right. I'm going to add with the verse on this one. Okay. So if you let me get to my full answer. Go ahead. Let me know when you're done, please. So in Exodus 28, we see the definition of a priest, what he's supposed to do. Exodus 25 through 30, we see the definitions for what the house of the Father is that the priest ministers inside of. Leviticus 1 through 7, we see the process for which the, the priest would make different types of atonement depending on the types of sins inside that house according to the regulations for that priest. So we also see that God's ordinances, statutes, and all of his Torah is eternal. And multiple verses that I've already given you, you don't have to rewind the tape. But if I go to this verse, and this verse in like 56, 6 and 7, the foreigners who join themselves to Yahweh to minister him, to love the name of Yahweh and to be his servants, that's a minister, all who keep the Sabbath without profaning it and who hold fast to my covenant, verse 7, I will bring them to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations this is a millennial reign context where all nations are coming to the kingdom the new jerusalem for his house of prayer where burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on his house on his altar again i agree by his ministers Ezekiel, Ezekiel yes. 40. no this is isaiah i so understand that sean that's isaiah so the, but I'm so saying the point is the point is i already told you we have definitions in the front of the bible we have definitions so, for a minister. So what I hear is we have nothing that real says. Real quick, real quick. We have about two and a half minutes of this portion, and then we'll get to audience questions. Okay. So what I hear is that we have nothing. Sean, I, it would be better. Of course you hear that. <laughs> of course. No, really. Because you disagree be with me. I do disagree with you. But the reason why I disagree with you, and it would probably be better if you would just say, we have nothing directly that says Melchizedek is doing this. I actually agree. Yeah, I actually agree with with one of the comments in the live chat right now, and I think this is I don't want to I'm sorry. This has become a disingenuous interaction, Will, because uh, the, the I thought the debate over this was PSA. And I did too. I keep PSA. trying to go back to that. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not hearing that at all. all. All I'm hearing is your vehement disagreement with the application of Christ's priesthood in heaven. So I would that has nothing to do with PSA. I mean, it it does circumstantially, but. It doesn't seem to be the focus, but um, hey, I'm good with it. I just hope everyone watching understands that um, I thought we were going to be talking about whether Christ's punishment was due to us all and therefore hey, substitution Will, of PSA was hey, relevant. Will, host, but, could you validate for just a quick moment that I have asked uh, one, I said, uh, what theory do you subscribe to? Uh, for one, to make clarifying so I could rebut that. 
Um, and then Sean really never gave us an answer. And then I also made mention to numerous times that I would like to get to how is this not, uh, how is this refuting PSA? And Sean's answer almost every time was because he had to minister in heaven. Can we at least? No, it wasn't. It was simply, I, I already said from the Torah that the Torah does not prescribe death by torture on the cross. I talked about the second death. I talked about all of us facing the first death and how being under the curse of the law and receiving the penalty, the penalty of the law was the second death. And I already, I already explained all that in my opening statements. Um, so yeah. And I've asked you about it. Sean, what theory do you subscribe to? Uh, the Torah theory of what is that? That Christ is our minister in heaven. And that's how he makes propitiation. So that's for why us. we're talking about this subject, Sean. And not, so, and not through punishment on death on the cross. So yeah, okay. All right. So not now I'm fixing to get very serious with the conversation since you've accused it seems to be your motif here. Let's get serious here. What have I Hebrews accused you 9, of again? Hebrews not hold on, please. Hebrews 9 26. Otherwise, well, Christ you need to actually back up some have, of your statements. What have I accused would you of? We have to suffer many well, times since the, the creation of the world. I'm sorry, I do have to cut off. We are at the 30 minute bark of the cross exam, this whole like open dialogue thing. So I know we wanted to probably some things got accused there, but I am trying to keep us a yeah. little bit on track there. But um, so I think I, I could give my own examination. You did ask what level uh, you did ask the question of what theory is, is held to. His answer is the Torah theory. Um, if I'm tracking the argument properly, Sean, tell me if I'm misrepresenting you. Sure, bro. Um, it, it's the idea not that he took a punishment, but that he died and went to that when he ascended, he ascended to be a high priest and per performs the Torah specific duties in heaven. And that's what's going on. Yeah. And that's your motif there. And yeah. you're still taking a penal substitutionary view. Um, even though I there, I there are aspects I could like, you know, kind of explore i do think that there has been an answering of questions i just think some of the answers weren't as liked or nearly as specific as somebody as some of the interlocutors wanted to get into mainly because that's where things start passing each other but we do have some audience questions do we mind if we address some of those real quick sure, sure is that okay with everyone there's yeah. a lot of questions for courtney and some for sean and then like one or two for both sides. So, uh, Courtney, I'll, I'll ask you, I'll just, I'm just going to go through them as I start them, if that's okay. Um, and then, uh, I, there are some that have kind of repeated themselves. Um, although I'm not going to lie, if you're doing like all caps and yelling in the comment section, I'm probably just not going to really acknowledge that too hard. Um, I'm like over here, like, can we stop yelling at the screen, everybody? Um, all right. Uh, there is one person in here that does have all caps, but I think it was more for emphasis. We'll go there. But anyway, uh, Micah Kilmer asks, question for Courtney. I have heard it often said that Isaiah 53 is actually referring to current events in Isaiah's day and is not referring to the prophecy, to prophet, it's not referring to prophecy. I am curious your thoughts. In other words, that it's about Israel, I think, and not about the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah, my, my answer to that would be, um, I think that that's a wrong interpretation, especially if you consider the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls, which seems to very much indicate that this person, not only did they suffer, which is the P part um, of PSA, uh, make atonement for the people, that's by bearing the sins, and then die, we know this from verse 12, but in verse 11, 10, 11, etc., we see that he sees light according to the Hebrew uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, as well as the Septuagint 
And that is meaning a resurrection because by one man, we all fall. That's Adam. By one, we rise. That's Christ because of what he did on the cross. Okay. Um, and then a question from Idol Killer. We're back to him. Um, that was basically, I just answered that. <laughs> yeah. All right. For both side, for both, did the crucifixion make God propitious? Um, Courtney, you said you just basically answered that. Yeah. Uh, Sean, I'd be curious what your response to this question would be. Did the crucifixion make God propitious? Um, I don't. Did the crucifixion make God? propitious. I mean, it, propitiation is offered uh, to God from a priest, uh, this this idea um, of the atonement, but the crucifixion itself would not be atonement. This is what I've been saying from my opening statements until now, is that the crucifixion itself is likened unto aspects of propitiation in many different spots in, in the New Testament writings. It's, it's metaphorically referenced, but by definition of the Torah and what makes propitiation in God's house through a priest, that is not the actual definition for how propitiation is made. Okay, so... Thank you. Um, all right, and then, um, Courtney, question. Does Yeshua literally throw his blood on people to wash them from their sin? So I think they're trying to get to how literal you take certain things. No, he doesn't literally throw his blood to wash <laughs> sins. We, he would have to literally go back in time, go forward in time. Literally, no. Again, the what Christ did was... Again, the lamb is slain since the foundations of the earth. It's a foreshadowing so that we would be able to recognize our Mashiach. Okay. And then the Lord, this, this one is also towards you, Courtney. Um, this one is in all caps, but I, it's just the one I saw, and it was the same question. I was repeated multiple times. Yeah. So uh, right here, um, Hector Search for Truth asks, Courtney, can you show me a scripture that shows Yah accepts human sacrifice? So, so this is a pretty common one. Uh, I don't believe that what Yeshua did, no greater love than one lay down his life for a friend. I don't believe that that is a human sacrifice. The one thing that we see in the scripture where, again, this is why I kind of asked on what I did about like, how does he interpret certain verses to be about certain things versus um, we find that in the Torah and throughout the rest of the Nach, the rest of the Bible, we find that God says that he doesn't want human sacrifice. Okay, but what does that mean? What is the definition of human sacrifice? One that I say a human that is sacrificed, I would say that's not necessarily the definition. What it is, is one, we see that it's to pagan gods. Two, we see that it's unwilling. And three, we see that it's often related to humans. Now, why do I feel like, or excuse me, to, to gods, I looked down at the word humans and said humans. It's often related to pagan gods. Let me make, let me restate that because I read the wrong word. Okay. Children, unwilling, not adults, right? To pagan gods. Those are like the three classifications, like what we see with Moloch and Baal and others. I don't think Christ fits that because again, no greater love than one would lay down his life for a friend. We also see kind of remnants or ideas or examples of this within the Torah with regards to the death of the high priest atoning for the sins of accidental manslaughter. So we see again, not that the Torah is saying this is what would happen, but you see like remnants of this, which is why in my humble opinion, Christ fulfills the totality of this, which is why he is the substance and the shadow is what we see written in the Torah. All so it's right. not human sacrifice because one, again, he did it willingly. He wasn't laid over on an altar. And these are the languages, which is why I keep kind of going back to 
you know, how is this described? What does this mean? And so on and so forth. All righty. Uh, I have a question for Sean. Uh, why, uh, why don't we see Jesus as chief prince in Ezekiel? Yeah, I, uh, I think he meant chief priest in Ezekiel, but that all positions are given back to the Levites. Prince means Nazi. She meant prince. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. Because um, in Ezekiel forty-four, it's 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 you know comparative to Isaiah sixty-six. This is a kingdom come, millennial reign amongst mortal mankind. Those who have not been resurrected, there's a priesthood chosen. New Levites are chosen, uh, but inside the house of God, in, which is what Ezekiel forty through forty-seven is is all describing, is a temple where there are sacrifices being done for even sin atonement for the people outside who are not who are still sinning. Right, the resurrected saints inside are not sinning, but uh, and so this is why there there will be many princes chosen over different regions of people. Prince doesn't mean high priest of the covenant. Okay, is that your is that the full that's my answer? answer. Then? Okay, yeah. cool. Um, and then I have now uh, L. Wilkins. This was a super chat, so I will ask it. Although I'm not sure if I'm too keen on the tone. Uh, Courtney, hey, by the way, Will, um, yes. a lot of these people are from my audience, and I instruct them every time I do a live stream, if they have a question, to put it in all caps. Oh, okay. All right. So that that way, the moderators can see it easily when they're going through the live chat, because oh. our live chat runs really fast. I'm just going through uh, this like a normal internet lingo. I'm like, wow, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of yelling. <laughs> Sorry. I've already answered, I kind of already answered this. Yeah, you um, did. Uh, yeah, but I, if you do, would do you want to readdress it at all here? Uh, I will. That one and there's this uh, similar question yeah, yeah. by L. Wilkins here. So, so the reason why I keep saying this is because it's when we say, "Oh, we we sacrifice an animal so that we could eat it," right? That's that's not the point that I keep trying to ask Sean about. I keep trying to ask Sean about. I want you to have this image in your mind that Christ is literally standing in heaven. He is taking the animals and he is using a knife and he is slitting animal throats. I'm perfectly fine with Levite doing that. I'm not so fine with um, Christ doing that in heaven because we have nothing that directly says that he would. So it's not that I'm making it barbaric. And I'm sorry if being blunt about this makes you feel uncomfortable and that God's laws found in Leviticus is barbaric. I don't think it's barbaric. But I use the verbiage to give you the image so that you can understand the question that I'm asking him. Okay. Alrighty. So I'm going, okay, both of those I'll unstar. Sorry, I'm just trying to get through them here. Um, Sean, why don't we see Jesus at, oh, no, I already asked that. Yeah. All right. Um, John 17 Project says, question for both. Uh, since it is made clear in Exodus that the earthly tabernacle temple and the Levitical priesthood are only shadows of what is in heaven, do you think we can know what that is from here? Go ahead, Shana. I, I I, I've been saying this. This is this goes back to my same answer from start to finish. I think it's a great question, John 17 um, Project, that uh, the law in heaven is kept just as it's the same law he, he asked mankind on earth to practice. It's, it's why the, the tabernacle on earth was patterned after the one in heaven. It's the same law is practiced in heaven as on earth. God is not a hypocrite. He does not ask us to arbitrarily do a bunch of stuff on the earth that he does not do. In Psalm 119, 1 through 3, it literally says that his laws, which we said we'd be blessed if we do them, his laws are eternal and they're his ways. His, and that word in the Hebrew for ways is moral character. Like this is literally his ways. 
And if you understand what the priesthood is doing in his house, they're preparing food for him. This is not a this is not an unholy thing. He calls it holy, and he does it in heaven, and that's why he instructed us to practice it on the earth, because we'll be doing it forever when his house from heaven comes down to the earth at the millennial reign. Okay, so um, again, this is a, a relating to the Levitical priesthood, which was given because of essential sins and humanity falling. And as Paul tells us, this is um, meant to point us, right? The idea of the Torah, things written in the Torah, um, was meant to point us to the seed, which is Christ. Again, going back to the story in Genesis, Genesis 3. Um, so do you think that you can know what is, I mean, to see that it's, it's a, something real, substantial. I, I do believe that, quote, heaven is a real place. But what I don't believe is that we need to take the job of Levi, which was given post hoc, and then superimpose that back onto what's happening. Oh, that's why you think this. Oh, my gosh. I didn't. I should have asked that question so long ago. That makes so much sense now. <laughs> okay, I get you, Courtney. I got you. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I just had a, like a, I just finally understood okay. where you're coming from. <laughs> Finally okay. understood where Courtney's coming from. This is why she believes this. I get this now. Okay. Okay. That's my answer. I'm sorry. I was done. Well. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sorry. I, <laughs> I need like a, a button to like let you know I'm done. Beep. I know. I've actually. I was actually thinking that really would be really nice just to be able to press a button like that's your 30 second warning and then we can just communicate to each yeah. other simply. But whatever. Uh, oh, uh, idol killer question uh, for both proponents. If PSA. Uh, R.C. Sproul, etc., have claimed Jesus becomes sin incarnate and God the Father damned him looking away. Do you affirm this? I don't understand the questions from I him, quite I frankly. I don't affirm this. This is, this is classic yeah. modern Christian interpretive teachings. Well, this, so, is, okay. this is claiming that Christ was uh, had to go suffer in hell as well. There's other preachers that teach this kind of stuff, that he literally went to hell to suffer. They don't understand Sheol. They understand the two compartments of the unrighteous and the righteous. Um, they don't understand the resurrection. I don't affirm this. No. Okay. I don't, um, I don't, yeah, but I don't know what he means by looking away. Like, I don't understand. So, yeah. I could clarify that a little yeah, bit um, because it's a very prominent in Protestant and evangelical theology, unfortunately. Um, that, the father, the, that when uh, he was on the cross, he said, uh, my father, why have you forsaken me? Oh, you mean that he's separated God, himself. That God literally forsook him and okay, turned yeah, his yeah, face yeah. away from his That's son. what he means by looking away. Okay. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah. I, I would not, I would not affirm that. I think that the problem with PSA, I would agree with Sean that many don't properly understand the Torah, which is why in my opening statement I clarified what I mean by PSA. Will you asked me um, when we were discussing kind of everything ahead of time, like what what do you describe PSA? Because it is described slightly different depending on the denomination of the person. I can still affirm PSA without affirming some um, mainstream Christian ideas of PSA, because I am a Torah observant Christian, which is why in my opening statement, I made mention that both he and I, Sean and I are both Torah observant Christians or whatever label he would prefer to choose. I'm okay with calling myself a Christian, a Torah observant Christian. And that's why I did that to really set myself separate from those who may say something that just kind of flies in the face of the Torah. Got it. Okay. Um, and then I have another question here. Is Jesus Christ's atonement for all mankind contingent on him to suffer a physical and painful death? Yes, I do believe so, which is why I made mention so many times to the suffering portion, which is why you see in um, in Hebrews, it says, uh, Hebrews 
926 that he has to suffer. Otherwise, Christ would uh, would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once at the culmination, right, for the ages to do away with sin by sacrificing himself. So we have a direct qualifier on what this means. And then again, Matthew 16, 21, where he makes mention that the priests and these scribes, etc., are going to kill him as we find uh, in the scriptures and it's relating to the raising. This is this is very important to understand. This is why I asked Sean earlier, Sean, do you believe that there are passages that are only for Christ to fulfill versus these passages being superimposed, broad brush painted onto all of us? I don't believe that humans could fulfill Psalm 2, Psalm 22. These are pa Isaiah 53. These are only- I never, I never claim they did. Christ. Uh, Will, I'm did not you want sure me to address this? With PSA, then, to be quite frank with you, you want me to address this one, Will, or just just for her? Can you you can answer? Yeah, yeah, no, no, you can you go ahead too, because I, I figured it's a general question for both of you, so go ahead. Okay, yeah, um, I've already acknowledged that Christ was prophesied to come and and suffer a gruesome, horrific death by torture. So that's stated in the prophets. We see the mechanism for that gruesome, torturous death, which becomes the cross. Um, we see that. In fact, I would even say in a in a passage that is quoted from an early from a church father of a previous Septuagint that we no longer have a um, a manuscript of anymore. He claims that Christ would be raised on a standard and is metaphorized as the Passover lamb, which and this is this was saying that Ezra claimed this back in the sixth century BC. So I think that's pretty fascinating. Um, and we understand that there's language that was prophesied of the, of the Messiah facing a horrific death. But it's not because the Father required that death of mankind and therefore it's substituted that Christ take it. It's just the outflow of the consequence of Christ being sent at the fullness of time because the fullness of time was the corrupted priesthood of the Levites, which is what we see the friction between Christ and the Levites throughout the Gospels. They eventually ended up betraying him, handed to the Romans for martyrdom. So we see that this is the fullness of time that he would be handed to a wicked and adulterous generation that would kill him, just like the other prophets. And so I think that, um, yeah, because it's prophesied, because the Father's word stands, he had to go through that, not because the Father demands that in his Torah for atonement. Big difference. Okay. Uh, also, Idol Killer wanted to just quickly clarify. It says, guys, I don't affirm PSA. I'm just asking questions that are entailed or implicit with PSA so as to expose it. Yeah. So he's, he's just bringing clarification to his last question as to where he stands. Um, and uh, Amani Roy, uh, I think I said your name right, asks, Courtney, why do you think Sean came to this conclusion? Ooh, she's asking for a psychoanalysis. <laughs> that, that can get dicey. Um, well, it's, and, it's, it's sister Imani. She loves these types. She likes to, to, to poke. Um, <laughs> who doesn't like to poke a bear once in a while? And if Imani means this conclusion, i.e. that Christ is in heaven making offerings, I think it's just easily answered that he, um, reads the very you know, literal definition, which I agree ministers, priests, etc., do these things, but that he superimposes that onto Melchizedek when I make a distinction, that there is a distinction between Melchizedek as well as Levite. I think that's really just the easiest answer. And that's kind of what this is boiled down to is, is that the difference? Um, that's why I asked a few clarifying questions like what does he subscribe to? What theory does he subscribe to? Or if there's a variation of a theory, what is that? Just kind of describe it. And he just says Torah. Um, I subscribe to the Torah too. And yet here we are. So 
Well, I don't need a I don't need to put a label on this theory when I'm just exegeting scripture. This is the crazy part. You even admitted that you don't hold PSA the same as others. And I showed a history mm-hmm. of different atonement theories. Everyone's had a different opinion on how to interpret these metaphoric reference statements of Old Testament language. And all I'm yeah, just saying maybe. is why do we need to label it in some theory or some atonement? Why don't we just simply exegete the scriptures? And if you want to demonize that, that's a, that's your prerogative. No, I haven't demonized anything, Shauna. Mm-hmm. Try not to play the victim here. I'm just giving my honest answer. Um, I think Courtney, just, I'm not I'm not playing a victim, sister. I'm literally using your language. No, I didn't say demonize. You've demonized several things in this debate. I didn't today. say that. You said that for me. Okay, that's the point. Okay. It's not about playing the victim. It's literally describing your behavior, your actions, your words. So it seems as though mean. at this point, Sean, again, I just answered. <laughs> I did not say demonize. I think I actually kind of defended you. Um, I know why you've come to the conclusion that you have, but with that being said, I simply just ask just for clarifying, like, what's, what do you subscribe to so that we can just kind of, kind of go through instead of having to spend three hours going through each, what does this word mean? What does that word mean? That's how you define doctrine, sister. How do you, how would you not? We are only here for two hours, Sean. That's it. I didn't ask you for two hours to Jesus. I asked you to define the word minister and how you think it's somehow different when Christ is doing it. No, I just think that once he offered his own, then that's where it stops. That's it. That's all I've said. And it hit you, I guess, afterwards. Because again, Levi post-talk, then it was like the epiphany hit you. So No, because you said it was, you think you think Levi's requirements were added after the fact and weren't eternal. Um, and I and that's a whole separate debate, apparently, where I could show you that how wrong you are in that. So we, we yeah, can talk about this some other time. Yeah, was not given before it was Yeah, given. I know that's what you believe. That's dispensation theology that comes directly from Judaism. No, it's not. It's in the scripture. Yeah. You can see where no, it was given. Well, I'm not trying. I don't want us to get too much into finger pointing here. Um, but Kent, uh, Kent, what, Kent, what's up, man? Uh, he's he's a uh, one of my Facebook friends, and he's a cool dude. Anyway, he asked Sean, "What are some resources uh, on your position that he could read?" Yeah, I, I I'm not saying this tongue in cheek, Kent. I'm being as genuine as possible, okay, brother? Oh, you're Levit- not going to say what I think you're going to. Keep going. Levit- Leviticus, Numbers. Before you read Hebrews, go study Leviticus and Numbers. Look at what the Bible describes as a, a I put them on sli- with my slides. I gave you the scriptural references to study when I bullet pointed the requirements for a temple, for furniture, for tools, for food, and then for the non-human requirements, excuse me, the human requirements of a priest. He has to be a male. He has to have a circumcised heart, a circumcised outer body, as well as um, be clean and washed. And I gave all the scriptures in those slides. So in my opening statements, you can pause the video and you can go jot down all those scriptures that I gave exactly for people like you that that are interested and think, you know what, what the heck is he talking about? Maybe I'll go search the scriptures to see. I gave you all the references there and uh, hopefully they're a blessing to you, brother. Okay. Um, now, would, with all that said, I'm not seeing any other major questions coming through. Do we want to just jump into our um, final closing statements? Oop. Is that is that cool with everyone? Or do yeah. we just, do we, do we want to uh, punch at each other a little bit longer. So, <laughs> um, all right. So with that said, uh, let it, uh, uh, and if anyone who's unfamiliar, I think I've been starting to do with my debates is at the end of the closing statements, I'll ask each, uh, interlocutor here. What do you think is your opponent's best argument? 
Okay. And that's a good question because it means that it forces you to have a moment of being objective. Like, yeah, I think that's a stronger case than some of the other ones, right? Because no one wants to concede any ground to their opponent, right? Because that would mean we're wrong and we all want to be right. So it. uh, it's a fun thing to do. But all right. Um, with that said, Courtney, you get to open uh, your closing statement. And then after 10 minutes, Sean, you get to have the last word. Sound good? Cool. Thanks, man. All right. No worries. And Courtney, whenever you're ready. All right. I don't remember how long the closing statement was supposed to be. Can 10 you, minutes. 10 minutes. I'll probably won't need that much. Um, Very good. All right. So I appreciate everyone's time being here. Uh, I knew a few sparks would fly, but I still uh, respect Sean as someone who seriously studies the scriptures, whereas I feel there are a lot of people who don't. Um, and I find it to be a breath of fresh air that Sean actually does want to go through the scriptures and the Torah. Um, I think the Torah is very relevant, obviously, to modern life. I am a Torah observant Christian. Uh, Sean and I agree on a lot of things. This is probably one of the, the parts where I would divert away from his, his definitions a little bit for certain reasons. Again, we are here to try and show PSA. PSA, again, penal, substitutionary atonement. It seemed to me that Sean slightly agrees with PSA. I could be wrong. It seems to me that he definitely affirms that the suffering of Christ, which is relevant to the P part of PSA, the suffering of Christ is relevant to how it is that we are atoned for. Okay. And uh, it seems that Sean also agrees with the fact that there are passages that only Christ could fulfill. And yet, if there are passages, i.e. the suffering passages that only Christ could fulfill, why would he then superimpose that, i.e. dying on a cross, onto all of humanity as if, well, um, I don't agree with PSA because it's, it's, it's superimposed all onto humanity. When we know very, very clearly that uh, there are passages that only the guarantor of the covenant, i.e. Christ, by the blood and the water, as he said, etc., is how we gain our access into heaven, okay? And believe in heaven, whatever, however you wanna believe, okay? So it seems as though there are parts that he affirms. Now he may define that differently and that's fine. It's completely fine with me, but the point of this debate was for me to show you in whatever various forms that you tend to agree with. I think um, ransom theory, I think ransom theory kind of takes the back half of PSA and drops the P part of PSA. Uh, it seems to be fine. And then where it really just falls short is that it gives too much credit to the devil, it gives too much credit to the adversary and Satan figure. And so again, as I said, PSA is the most all encompassing. Hey, cat, love you, cat. Um, and with that being stated, I think it's important to go back and study these passages. I think we all know Sean has a very unique view of scripture. Um, I've never really faulted him for a unique view. I'm okay with that. But Let's substantiate it with scripture. And this is why I continuously state Melchizedek, according to the way that it's the word is literally defined, Melchizedek, we do not see that that entails the job of Levite being superimposed onto Melchizedek. And that is my biggest issue. If there were something that superimposed the two together uh, without, again, using passages that are only relevant to Levi and then putting that on Melchizedek, then I would subscribe to his theory. But unfortunately, we don't see that. You have to just kind of isolate, you have to shove that in there 
And, and again, because of his obedience to the Torah, I understand why he takes these passages to mean literal. But then there are other passages that I bring forward, like first fruits, Christ is the first fruits. Um, he acknowledges this, but then he says it's metaphorical. There are other positions that Sean holds to that will also do the same thing where he says, yes, it says this, but it's metaphorical. Well, then if you get that luxury, then why is it that I can't say Christ ministered when he offered himself, but then the ministering stopped. And then at that point, his job as the king takes over as he sits on the throne. And we see that the throne is mentioned. You see in multiple passages where you have thrones and then he returns to rule. I acknowledge that there are sacrifices, but they will be done here on earth for the people who um, are still alive after, again, this is depending on what your eschatological view is. And so I acknowledge all of these passages. I've not ran from them, nor do I state that they are not uh, for believers or to consider them. I've only stated very clearly that it doesn't seem like we can superimpose Levi onto Melchizedek without having some examples. And we don't see in the examples where Melchizedek is mentioned, and it's only mentioned a few times in the Hebrew Bible, um, in Genesis and in Psalm 110, we don't see examples of offerings, right? What we see is the people being, right? Something else is being given to him. And so I find that to be very important and of substance. And we see in Psalm 110 uh, that he sits in relation to this. He sits at the right hand of God. And then we see that there's a, a play towards reigning, right? And so again, Melchizedek king of righteousness or king, my king is righteous, depending on how you would interpret or translate that. So when he returns, the kingly portion kicks in. But remember, Christ was not of Levi, which is why it goes on to very clearly tell us that this is of the job of Levi and Christ is not of Levi, he's of Judah. So if you are interested and you want to know more about my position on first fruits and how Christ's blood and i.e. his life and all that that entails being our first fruits, which guarantees the later resurrection to come, you can watch a video I have uh, called the first fruits or, or the full fruit of the removal of sin, because it's always in relation to the removing of sin. And this is why I humbly think that uh, the totality of the Torah points in many different ways to Yeshua so that you would be able to identify your Messiah when he came. Not that every aspect would literally apply to him in all ways, shapes, and forms. Again, we are restoring what was lost in the garden. This is the means by which it would be restored. And this is why we are told that a lamb was slain since the foundation of the earth. So with that being said, Sean, thank you for your time. I knew we wouldn't come to an agreement, but I do appreciate your time and I concede anything else other time. All righty, Sean, you can go ahead and go to your closing statement. Sorry, Sean, you can go to go to your closing statement. I'm not sure if I unmuted myself. Sorry, Will, are you going to allow slides? Uh, I mean, I, I'm okay with slides as long as Courtney's okay with it. I didn't want her to feel like she was duped there. I was just like, oh, yeah. I'm I don't understand why she would feel disadvantaged. I'm just putting it's the same stuff I'm reading off and stating anyway. I'm just putting it on screen. I'm cool with it, but that's should Courtney. I don't, Courtney, you're mute. That that you're muted you're on, again. You're on mute. You're on mute, Courtney. <laughs> again, death of Sorry. us. <laughs> um, well, because the point is that you put it 
I mean, you put it on screen on your own channel. We're here on a moderator channel. It just seems odd to me that I, I would not tell me this so that I could do the same. I've done lots of debates with slides. I thought it was how we presented our information. So mm, I was not aware of that, Sean. This is why I wanted to kind of go over all of this before with the debate. And you did not tell me that you wanted to do that. In fact, I actually remember discussing the fact that I wanted a mod channel because coming it's on okay. your channel. We don't, we don't need slides then. Uh, Sean, I'll well, I just want people to know why, because I have not prepared slides. <laughs> I didn't know that's what we he would want to do. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind when we were first discussing the nature of the debate. So when he asked, I was like, oh, yeah, a lot of people do that. That's fine. Yeah, a lot of people do that. It's not a big deal. I'm not, it doesn't give me some weird advantage. I'm just, you know, allowing people to see my thoughts instead of reading them, you know. Right. right. But see, I didn't get that luxury. I wish you would have right. told me. You should have well, prepared. Well, <laughs> it's a debate. Sean, I am prepared. All right. Okay. I'm just, I, we're just, it's okay. We will just go without slides. And that way there's no like, no one can say slate of hand or anything. So we'll just go ahead. Sean, go ahead and read your closing statements. All right, then. Um, yeah, I think uh, I just I hope that uh, folks go back and, and you know, listen again. Um, our sister Courtney continues to uh, um, imply that she does have a different version of PSA than the average Christian um, believes and what is commonly taught in uh, seminaries about PSA. And so I think it's important to just make that distinguishment and it's okay. She can have her own version. That's fine. Just make that distinguishment. Um, it just for the sake of clarity, this is why I tried to show what are the definitions of these types of atonement theories in my opening statements. Um, I would strongly encourage people to study the old Testament pertaining to priests and, uh, ministers in a tabernacle for, for Yahweh. And, um, it's not something that was just invented at Sinai. It was not something that was just given at that moment. It was always being done beforehand. There were Levite priests at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. This is a commonly, un, it's a commonly, um, I should say not commonly, it's easily found if you read the Exodus and you, and you study Genesis, there were sacrifices being done all over the place. This was a common thing. So uh, just because the priesthood responsibilities are passed to a certain lineage doesn't change the responsibilities. It just changes the requirements for who's chosen as a priest to do those responsibilities. Um, I also just want to remind people of some of my opening statements, just the idea that P PSA, commonly taught, traditionally taught, widely taught, is that the punishment that God was supposed to give mankind, he gave to his son on the cross. And therefore, by in doing that, we, he made atonement for this, this punishment that was supposed to be doled out to us. But we're told, not only is that just an invention of John Calvin in the 16th century, but we're told that this is uh, somehow atonement for us. But that's not the definition of atonement according to the front of the Bible. When God introduces the idea of atonement for sins, that's not the definition of how atonement would be made by a priest in a temple. When God introduces how he makes atonement for these sins. Um, and so I think it's important that people remember that. The, the punishment that people received or did not receive would be received at the judgment and the second death. So even though people who weren't a part of Israel are still going to face the punishment of transgressing God's eternal law. This is why we're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 13 and 14, that this is the conclusion of the matter, that, that mankind do the commandments of God. I'm paraphrasing. Please go read the verses. So all men are appointed death. And I'd love to have another conversation with our sister here on Hebrews specifically because she vastly uh, personally 
summarized and 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 isogetically cherry-picked Hebrews 9, 26, and 27. If you go through the rest of Hebrews 9, you see why he entered once into the heavenly thing. And it was comparing him different than the human Levites who were full of sin and had to make atonement for themselves first before they entered. Doesn't mean that the process of what they did once they entered changed. It just means the process of he did he didn't require making atonement for his sins before he entered. And he doesn't have to enter over and over again because there's no death of a high priest. This goes back to Hebrews 7, because now he's eternal, resurrected, has the power of indestructible life. He lives forever, like I read from other passages in Hebrews. So he can forever minister as our high priest. There's no changeover uh, from another generation coming up behind him. So there's uh, there's a lot of context there. I hope people study out if they read Hebrews, um, as well as just the idea that the second death is the punishment for rejecting God, for rejecting his son, for rejecting their way of life, which is the Torah, and um, and not wanting to live in their house with them. This, this is you're judged by your deeds. You're not given atonement for your mistakes because you're not asking with the right heart. You don't care. You've rejected them, so therefore they judge you according to your deeds. You're destroying the lake of fire. That's the second death. Yeshua did not get the second death. So, in conclusion, penal substitutionary theory claims Christ was punished in place of sinners. Sinners who receive punishment receive it at the second death. And those who do not repent, and that is just of those who do not repent and believe in God. The Almighty does not instruct death by torture on a cross for punishment of sin anywhere in any part of his word. And lastly, Christ did not receive the second death in our stead. His body and soul were not destroyed in the lake of fire. So this whole concept that was invented by Calvin in the 16th century of PSA is utterly contradictory to the Torah, to the definitions of a priest in heaven, to the definitions of what how atonement is made by a priest in a temple, both on the earth and in heaven. And I would just say, penal substitutionary theory, it falls apart completely since Christ did not receive the second death, was prophesied to become a priest that makes atonement in God's temple in heaven and remove our sins at the resurrection. Christ's appointment of high priest was prophesied to only happen after he was unrighteously martyred. And finally, God's law doesn't require death by cross to make atonement. So I really appreciate my time, and I thank you both for letting us to do this today. Thank you, guys. Um, I know it's a lot of preparation to prep for a debate. And I know uh, the best part about debates for a lot of people is they're always waiting for the fireworks, right? Because they're like, everyone's passionate. If you're debating about it, you're passionate. And uh, that's going to come through. Um, but one of the things I, of course, wanted to ask, Courtney, what do you think is the be the strongest argument in Sean's position? So I think the strongest argument is just that he consults with the Torah, um, defining everything uh, by the Torah. But I, I would say that that's just just the best way to to understand the Bible. And I acknowledge that as a Torah observant Christian myself. Awesome. And uh, Sean, what do you think is the best argument uh, for Courtney's position? I think Courtney's best argument today was... <laughs> this is, I tell you, it's a good question. I think it may be her pulling on the language of the guilt offering from Isaiah 53, if you know the Torah. But that's if I'm, I'll have to stop there because I would immediately want to rebut that. But you know, that's, <laughs> well, that, that's, that's, I'll just, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it always is. You're like, this, what? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, personally, from the third party sitting out here, just hanging out, um, I would say the strongest argument I think for Courtney was when she slightly redefined PSA because then uh, she wasn't under as much of the gun of the baggage of PSA. Uh, when she redefined it slightly, it was like uh, right when she did at the beginning, I instantly went, oh, well, that's a little harder to nail down. It's a bit more nuanced. Um, I still disagree. Uh, but that was my position. And then what, uh, Sean, I think your strongest argument would be when um, you were like, we're, we're really emphasizing the priesthood. And then, of course, you, sticking with a strong definition of the Torah and then use those as direct parallels with one another. So I think that was your strongest argument. And then, Courtney, I think yours was when you uh, defined PSA yourself and what your terms meant. Mm -hmm. And it allowed you to kind of have a bit more of a nuanced position in that area. Because, uh, yeah, what what Idol Killer was getting at was what is the standard definition of PSA. And if you don't subscribe to some of those heavier aspects of it, it allows you to have a, a little bit easier of a time in a debate like this. Yeah, I would, um, I would say ahead. really fast. Um, that's kind of what my, my channel does. I, and the reason that's why I announced I bridged the gap between mainstream Christian apologetics and, you know, more of a messianic uh, Torah applying apologetics. I think that's key. I think the biggest issue with Christians today is that they departed from the Torah and they don't define things, which is why I can see that Sean's definition is not wrong, right? I, I don't, I think that's fine to use the Torah to inform the rest of the Bible for sure, I think is the best way to go. No, oh, yeah. I mean, in my time, uh, studying Torah and, um, and studying through Leviticus and everything that's been very eye opening has helped me understand a lot of other things. Cause a lot of times Christians read the old Testament through the lens of the new Testament when really probably should be the other way around. Um, so anyway, I really do appreciate this, uh, this time. Um, Please, if you guys are interested, and keep in mind, this is, uh, if you're my audience, uh, we have a mixed audience. I tell you what, our audience is all over the place as far as yeah. <laughs> types of groups. So just keep in mind, if you follow Sean at Kingdom in Context or uh, Courtney at Biblical Apologetics, you'll be getting from a more messianic and Torah observant community. So don't go in there hating on them because you've been warned. Um, I just, I do that for my Torah friends because yeah. it can get nasty. Uh, but otherwise, if you are actually really interested in some of those aspects and some of those perspectives, um, please go check it out. One of the things I actually thought was interesting is a lot of people from the Messianic or the Torah community uh, reject PSA, which was why I was surprised when Courtney was got to step up defendant, which as a person who likes the unity and diversity thought, I was like, oh, that's cool. Let's do it. Um, so when I was tagged on TikTok for all that, by the way, I'm rarely on TikTok. I so noticed. I apologize, <laughs> I apologize to everyone who was like, what's happening over there? And I'm like, yeah, I've, I was active for a while, but my job makes it difficult. I'm hoping to change that soon. So sorry, everyone. Everyone. But um, is there any quick closing remarks any of you guys wanted to say? Yeah, I got a question for you, Will. Uh oh. Quick, qu just one quick question. I'm you can prepared. you can uh, answer it if you want or not. <laughs> sure. What do you think Christ is doing as an eternal high priest in heaven? Oh man, why I didn't prepare for a debate. I'm out of here. No, I'm, just I'm not going to rebut you. I just I'll just <laughs> leave your answer. We can leave it with your answer. Um, no, so I um, so I hold to a varying views of recapitulation, uh, moral example. Christus Victor is my central piece. Um, I if by ransom atonement you mean purchased freedom, I'm here for that. If you mean paying off Satan or paying off God Himself, I'm like mm, nope. So uh, <laughs> depends what we mean by ransom. If we mean the Hebrew definition of like a purchased freedom, I'm good with. So and when he goes into the heavenly place, I believe uh, based on just my reading of Hebrews that he uses his blood to cleanse, so that way we might enter the sacred space of heaven. That is my 
my general view um, because I believe that I don't believe that blood was punishment. I believe it was purgation or expiation. I do not believe it was um, propitious in the sense of appeasement, but of cleansing, if that makes sense. Because it's life that covers death, the sin of death. So, um, oh, I'm I'm sorry. I uh, I was asked. I'm sorry. Did um, did you? I wasn't I wasn't asking for your uh, definition of PSA or your atonement, but just like, oh yeah, you, yeah, like like in a practical sense, like what do you think Christ is doing as a high priest in heaven? Yeah, yeah. So, for two thousand uh, years now. That's kind of what I was getting at with uh, that part where, so I believe when he, he's in heaven acting as a high priest, but I believe that he used his pure, because I affirmed the incarnation, so I believe that he uses his incarnate blood to cover and purify um, the the um, holy place in heaven so that mankind may enter it. I don't think he's making regular sacrifices anymore. I think he was the perfect sacrifice in heaven. So that is my current belief in that, and that he makes... Um, and that he is the mediator between God and man uh, as the high priest in that sense, but that he is the okay. holy and perfect okay. offering, if that I makes see sense. That. Feel free to message me too on that. It could be a fun discussion because I'm very open to this. I'm actually currently writing a book um, on a challenge to penal substitutionary atonement, explaining uh, my view more in-depthly. And You're going to have what? to put mine in there now. Put, put yours in there. No, you're going to have to like refute mine now. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. I, 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 I trust me what... I've heard so many different definitions where I'm like, no, no, I got to stay on task on the main yeah, I know. One. Remember what we were talking about before yes. the show? You have to throw yeah. that. <laughs> it's like, so, uh, the, uh, and so N.T. Wright also affirms penal substitution, but he redefines it. And it's mm -hmm. like, I agree on it with N.T. Wright on a lot of things, but it's one of those things once he redefined it, I was like, okay, kind of, not really. Um, but it is one of those things where I'm like, nope, I, I don't have time to ref refute his in the book because that's yeah. going to be a whole nother canard. Yeah, it opens so, up a whole is, well, I hope that this discussion gave you some good, you know, material to go with, you know, help with your book. And oh, I, I think did. your your language that you just said, I think is beautiful. And I think we should all take note of what he just said is that he mentioned another scholar. I've heard of N.T. Wright. We, we studied him in Bible college. He, he redefined it. Courtney redefined it. John Calvin defined it differently than satisfaction theory. It's all redefined, constantly redefined. What if we just took the definitions from Scripture and exegeted those? What if we just exegeted scripture with those definitions? What would happen then? What would it look like then? And this is what I say, let's not redefine the meanings of words in scripture to come up with a, a theory that everyone has to redefine because they disagree with it. What if we just use the definitions from scripture? Would it be a consistent storyline? And that's what I put forward to challenge yeah. everybody. That's what I actually, I emphasize a lot of the narrative. What's the overall narrative here? Okay, yeah. what, what are those things pointing yeah. to? Uh, because a lot of times people, uh, I think we all can know this. If you guys are Torah observant, you definitely know this. Um, the tendency for evangelicals is one to systematize everything. And some things aren't systematizable. They're actually yeah, yeah. more metaphorical, right? So yeah. it's like, don't take this, don't take the metaphor and systematize it too strongly because then it can all start collapsing. So yeah. um, anyway, I really appreciated this conversation. There were some things I found that were enlightening. Uh, if I was making notes of a few things on my phone, I'm like, oh, that's a good one. I better add that later. Or, oh, that's good. <laughs> Good point. I need to research that. So I was doing, if you saw me doing that, I was doing, I was adding notes. I want to talk to you about Ezekiel 18. 
So, oh yes, I would love to talk yes. to you about Ezekiel 18. <laughs> uh, and you guys know we were having a conversation on TikTok about it. I was like, I disagree with her on that. But anyway, the whole point of this, guys, is I just want us to know the fact that we can disagree with each other. And one of the things I do appreciate yeah. is I didn't hear anyone. I, I heard it get passionate. I heard some, some, some accusations get thrown, but I never heard anyone kick the other one out of the kingdom. And that is a thing for me that I'm passionate about. Where I'm not going to sit there and question one's faith and uh, faith in God. I'm not going to sit there and say mm -hmm. that someone's not in the kingdom uh just because we disagree on a small theological matter of trying to uh explain the mechanics of a particular mm -hmm. thing in scripture because yeah. especially if there's a lot of metaphor metaphorical language involved so anyway with that being said guys please go follow uh sean i came in context uh, courtney with biblical apologetics and of course follow the church split because i hear those guys are awesome yeah um i would <laughs> Um, but anyhow, guys, I hope this has been helpful for you, enjoyable, if nothing else, entertaining, as a debate should be. Yeah. And uh, if that's... And Will, are you yes. okay with me mirroring this on my channel and bringing some traffic to your Absolutely. channel? Absolutely. Uh, feel free to rip it off once we post it all. Um, I like. I always I always rip off of when I'm on someone else's channel. <laughs> yeah. uh, use it. Free content, right? So get it out there. Um, it's a good way to network. So with that being said, uh, guys, I appreciate all of you. I appreciate the audience sticking around. We've had... Uh, we have currently 122 people watching right now, which is pretty cool. So that's awesome. Uh, anything else you guys want to say? Oh, I appreciate you, Courtney, for doing this. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, Sean. Sorry it took so long. That's okay. I know we what, got life. What, yeah. Life happens. We, we all just have a hobby that's out of control. So That's um, right. Anyway. All right, guys, you all take care, and God bless everyone. Shalom. And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we gotta be strong, we gotta be healthy. When you wanna feel nice and strong and satisfied, you gotta check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to goodranchers.com, use promo code Knowles. Or that. We also wanna thank Free Life Soap, because I don't know about y'all, yes. but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. Yes, I did. Here yes, sir. And it was great. Or this. Hi guys, my name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month.